Good evening, everyone. We're about to we're about to start um, Parshas Kitzetze. This week's Torah portion, um, the Hasidic discourse we're learning this week is on the pasuk Kisiyena Leish Nashim. This is a verse closer to the beginning of the of the Torah portion of the week. So it says, over there it speaks about the laws of inheritance. If a man will have two wives, one of them that he loves and one that he hates, and the oldest, the firstborn son, if the firstborn son will be to the wife that he dislikes, so as he, as he is... Uh, at, or dividing or setting up his inheritance, he's not allowed to show any favoritism to the, to the uh, younger children. The laws of inheritance require that the firstborn son get a double portion. So the man is not allowed to give to his younger children more than he gives to his older children. Now, the exact ramifications, the halachic ramifications are very specific because he could give as a gift. He wants to choose to give it as a gift while he's alive to his children he can choose to give to his uh, younger child more than the older child. That a person can choose. Um, however, if he wants it to go over to his children by the laws of inheritance, he can't mess with the, with the inheritance of the Torah. The Torah says the firstborn son gets a double portion. And even if the firstborn son is a child of the hated wife. That's the simple uh, meaning of the verse of the Torah. However, over here in this minor, said 202 years ago, in 1803, the Altar Rebbe discusses the deeper significance of the story of the man with the two wives. Because if we look at the, at the, at the verse, the simple um, reading of the verse, it seems like when the Torah says the possibility that the hated wife is going to have the firstborn child, it doesn't seem to say it as a possibility. It doesn't seem to say, Im, um, Im If the firstborn is to the hated wife. It doesn't say that. It says, And it will be. Seeming that the Torah assumes as a, as a definite thing. It is definitely that the firstborn son is going to be to the hated wife. So out of this little diok, out of this little, little... A notice that the Alter Rebbe takes notice in the Pasuk comes this whole profound deeper meaning because as we know the Torah has layers and layers of meaning so that which can even though the Torah is absolutely true on its, on its very practical uh, down to earth level what we call Pshat and we are speaking about physical human being in this world deciding the inheritance his inheritance between his children and his wives but nevertheless there is also a spiritual uh, soul lesson um, that, that the Torah is teaching us. So let's read. When a man will have two wives, one is a beloved one, and one is a hated one. And the firstborn son is will be to the to the hated one. To understand what does it mean? The verse, it will be. 
seeming to imply that it's definite that the firstborn son is going to be to the hated wife. So this will all be understood based on what the chief Kabbalist disciple of the Ari, Rav Yitzchak Luria, Rav Chaim Vital, the greatest of the students, the one who transcribed all the, all the teachings of the Ariza. So this Rav Chaim Vital writes in Shara Kedusha, this is uh, quoted in the beginning of Tanya, which really serves as the whole basis of the book of Tanya. That every single person of Israel has two souls. We all possess, every Jew possesses not one soul, but rather two souls. To Moshe Kosov, and this is hinted to in the verse, it's a passage I think in Eo, even Job, when the Shamois Ani Asisi, and souls I have made. Now simply you can learn that it means God says I've created souls. For all the, for all the many people that there are, everybody has one soul. So there are many souls. But over there in Tanya, there in, um, in, uh, in, the, in Shara Kedusha, he writes, no, for each individual human being, God created souls. Two souls. Lush and Rabbit. So from the words on the Asisi, Lush and Rabbit, this is in the plural sense. These are the two souls. And we have two souls. And it's these two souls that the verse is referring to when a man is going to have two wives. Which are the two wives? The two wives are the two souls that we possess. One of these wives is considered the beloved wife. And one of these wives is considered the hated wife. Nevertheless, the verse teaches us that the firstborn son, there is something awesomely great about the hated wife. Meaning, a soul that we despise, a soul that we should despise, that justifiably we despise, as he's going to explain. It's the soul that constantly drags us down. It's a soul that constantly is bogging us down. It's interfering and, 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 and pulling us in the wrong directions. It's the chaotic soul that we have. Nevertheless, it's that very soul that possesses something of a very, very, very high spiritual nature from a very high place. It's only that the soul needs to be refined and sublimated. Once the soul is restored to its original glory, even this very non-holy soul... Uh, becomes, is brought up to a very high place and even transcends the holy godly soul as we're going to see soon. So that's the general theme that the altar is going to lay out over here. That the two wives refer to two souls that each and every one of us possess and that a person cannot, you know, just reject his animal soul, his unholy soul and, and say, you know, this is just totally evil and bad and I just have to dismiss it. But one has to realize that there's great potential in this negative unholy soul once it's transformed and elevated. So let's read. So here, first he goes on to explain what is the idea. Well, what, what, what are these two souls? Nefesh achas, one soul, nikra is called nefesh achiyunis. One soul is called the animating soul. Because the function of this soul is to animate the body. This is our biological soul. This is the engine of the body. This is what keeps the body alive. That's why it's called, in Tanya he refers to it as nefesh abasa, the soul of the flesh. This soul is invested in the, in the blood of man, that's how it, 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 it runs through the body, enlivening the body, giving life to it. So it's a spirit, it's a spiritual energy, but nevertheless, it's a coarse spiritual energy, it's a coarser spirit. And uh, as we said before, its function is to enliven, to animate the body. And it's also called, it has two names, it's called Nefesh Achiyunis, it's called a vivifying soul, or a vitalizing soul, or an animating soul. 
It's also called Bahamish. It's an animal soul. Because it's very animal-like. Meaning it's extremely self-centered. It's egocentric. It only knows of itself and that's its total occupation. That's why it's like an animal. An animal doesn't have any higher purpose to its existence or that at least it knows of. An animal's entire perception is I am, I exist, and I exist for myself to have a good time. And this soul is enclosed in the man's blood. Its primary function is to give life to the body. As, we, as, as it's stated elsewhere. As in contrast to the other soul that we're going to speak about soon, that's an extremely sublime soul, that soul doesn't have the ability to energize a body. That soul doesn't have the, the, the power to give life to a body because... The higher soul, the more godly-like soul, the heavenly soul, the more spiritual soul, is too spiritual to animate the body. It's too subtle. It's too refined. The body can't respond to something so, 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 so fine. The body is too coarse. So it can't, it can't sense the stimuli from the godly soul directly. So therefore, a physical brain could not function. And a, and a, and a physical heart could not pump blood from an energy of a godly soul. It's, it's, it's too of a high frequency for the godly soul, for the, for the body to be able to relate. That, but So what does arise in the body? What is responsible for every act, for all mobility, for, every, for all motorization, if we can say, of the body? What is responsible for this? What motorizes the body is the animal soul. And this, however, the Rebbe says, despite the fact that we seem to put the soul down. And we say that it's very animalistic in its nature. It's extremely self-centered and therefore it's an unholy soul. Nevertheless, it too, she too, descends from an extremely exalted place. From a very high place. However, if it comes from a very high spiritual place, so what happened to the soul? Why is the soul, so why is it so corrupt? Why is it, uh, why is it so polluted? So he explains, because even though it, 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 it's originally, it's, it's original place, it, it, it originates in a very high place, nevertheless, the soul as it descended into the body went through many, many intermediate levels. And as the soul passes through these intermediate levels, it has changed very much. And what are these intermediate levels? These intermediate levels are levels and levels of concealment. Levels and levels, multitudes of levels that conceal God's life where the spiritual energy is, the, is, is diminished and it gets screened less and less and less and less until it coarsens up to the point that when the soul reaches the body it has lost touch with its spiritual origins to the point that it doesn't sense God at all and it senses itself as a total independent creature as something apart and separate and severed from God it doesn't feel that it is even a creation it sees itself as a God as an absolute reality that exists by its own right and therefore it doesn't see, doesn't feel that it needs to justify anything. Its existence. It feels life is purposeless. I'm here, let's eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. That's the outlook of this soul. Let's just have a good time. Because I exist just by accident. I'm here and why not? So, um, as it ever says, it descends from a very high place, through many intermediates. And it passes through the various ministering angels. The soul comes from a place even beyond, even this soul, even higher than angels. But it goes through the ministering angels of forces, umazolos, and the constellations, which are all the spiritual dynamics which precede our physical world. Kamai Marazal, as the sages tell us, 
there isn't a blade of grass, a grass down here below that doesn't have a mazel, some spiritual mentor, some spiritual force that beats it and tells it grow. What does that mean? That, that life doesn't begin in this world. There is levels and levels and levels of, there's a whole hierarchy, there's a whole system of the way the life travels from God down to the world and it passes through systems and levels and levels of existence. So, so through this soul also passes through. The human soul passes through these, all these layers and layers of, of, of being. It passes through the levels of the angels and then lower down to the lower forms of the angels and then to the, the, the what we call Ayin Sarim, the 70 ministering angels, which are the 70 nations, the, the source of the 70 nations. It passes through all these, all these things till it comes down into the body. Ki Gavoya Ma'al Gavoya because there's guards higher than God, higher, higher, all the way up. I think it's a, it's, it's a Pasuk, I don't remember exactly the, 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 the meaning, the, the literal translation of it. The Gvayim it's a Pasuk that describes the, the guards, the, the, the hierarchy of creation, higher and higher. And through its distance from the light of God, as it descended through a chain-like progression, from level to level, from the Eila and from cause to effect, as it passes down, from one level is, is the source, the cause for the next level. The Hesperim, and, 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 what, and what, what really characterizes the whole descent is that Hashem's light keeps on being more and more and more veiled and concealed. The farther you go, the lower you descend in this chain-like progression, the less one is aware of the godly, of the divine truth. They are stated with Tzimtzumim Rabbit in incredible contractions. Atshen is Lapshon until it can enclose itself Magufa Adam Basar Vedam until it can enter into a body and enclose itself in the body of flesh and blood. L'chein Meaning, even this soul, if you take this soul directly and, and, and put it into a body, it would not be able to relate to the body. So it has to be coarsened up. So it goes through this whole system of coarsening until this soul itself can come into a body. And therefore, that's why this soul is, is, uh, is, uh, contains within itself elements of good and bad. It's a mixture of good and bad. And all negative character traits come and all negative impulses and lusts and desires and cravings come from, from, this, from this negative, from this, from this soul. Because it has within itself good and bad. Why does it have good and bad? The good that's there is a little remnant of its source. Being that originally, originally, it too is a holy being. It too is very close to the divine truth. And it perceives God in a very, very powerful way. So therefore, the little bit, therefore there's still some, a trace of a trace of goodness in the soul, which is, which is really, which um, manifests itself in the soul desiring things that could be used to the service of God. And also in the soul's, that the fact that we could, the soul could change its course. One could elevate, one could, the soul could mature, could be brought to a recognition and understanding of, of holiness. But the very fact that it has still a potential for sublimation, it has a potential to learn and to be uh, elevated, that shows that what? That, that it still has some remnants, it's not completely detached from its source. It, that's the good in it, and the bad of it. This that we say it has negative, a lot of negativity in it, that stems from all the concealments. 
due to all the concealment that the soul has passed through, which concealment hides God, that creates and brings, brings about a soul that, to the greatest part, doesn't sense God, doesn't sense its source, and as we said before, feels an independence, a separateness, to the point, as the other said, that the soul can even engage in something, in a sin, something that is absolutely antithetical to God's will. Why? Because it doesn't feel that it needs God in any sense. I, I, you know, I, if one feels a dependency on God, then you can't go against God's will. If you, if you feel that God is the source of your existence. So the reason the soul could even entertain the thought of sin is because the soul doesn't sense its divine origins, its, its connection to Hashem. Now, so th- and this is what creates all the negative impulses and negative character within the soul, which vary in, 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 in by every person. Every person has other, other aspects of their being that where, where the negativity expresses itself. But every human being is born with this negative character that has to be sublimated. It's only that it, 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 it changes drastically from person to person because that depends what aspect of the soul is dominant. As he says, this, this soul consists of four elements. As we know generally, the Kabbalists speak about in the, just from Kabbalists brought down already earlier, in the Kuzari and many other places, in the Rambam, the four major elements of Eish, Mayim, Ruach, and Afar. Fire, wind, water, and, 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 and Afar. So, just like these exist in the physical sense, they also exist in a spiritual spiritual level, the power of fire, the power of wind, the power of dust, and the power of, of, of water. And this makes up the chemistry of the soul. So, depending on the, on the type of chemistry, meaning on the blend of these various things, and which one is the more powerful dominant force, that will create a specific nature to the soul, and specific uh, a characteristics and specific, specific tendencies, negative tendencies. For example, as Yalzab explains in Tanya, that uh, uh, the watery, a person who has a, cons- a more watery consistency in the soul, then they will have a tendency towards, towards uh, pleasure, seeking pleasure, a pleasure seeker, always looking for, 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 for pleasure and delight. People that have an, an, an abundance of fire in their, in their soul, they will have a, a, natural, a natural inclination towards arrogance and anger and so forth. So this depends on, on, the, very, on the makeup of the soul. But general, more in the general terms, the soul is a negative soul stemming from what? From the fact that it doesn't sense God. And being that it doesn't sense God, what replaces the sense of God? It replaces it with an ego, with a, sense, with, with, a, with a bloated ego, with a capital I. Instead of Anochi Hashem Alekecha, that I am God, you're God, and I'm here to serve. As we know, and we say in Mishnah Epirkeyavis, Anilish, Aninav Reisi Lashamish Eskayim, I am created to serve my Creator. One gets a sense of I am. Just to be and uh, to do it as I wish. The the um, the gam and something else that stems from the soul, the gam seichel anushi. Also, human intelligence also comes from the soul. Meaning, not to think that this soul is just an emotional maniac. That the Rebbe says, no, this soul also possesses within itself an intelligence. It can be quite sophisticated, but primarily, its intelligence is a biased intelligence. Its intelligence is mainly here to subjective intelligence. Its intelligence is mainly here to, to, to justify and to, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's rationalize. To rationalize all its, all its, its emotional cravings, un, 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 unholy cravings, it rationalizes and justifies it with its mind. And it also uses its mind to help it get that which it desires. That, that, not what it's uh, pursuing. You had a question? 
No, no, no. We're talking about chambers in a sense. We're talking about, yeah, that's right. Going through, but those chambers are not just there to affect the soul. Those are levels of reality. Levels of world that are beings. Created beings. No, it doesn't linger there. It doesn't... Yeah, but it, it could linger at these various levels. It could linger there for a time being. You know, it's not incarnated in the body yet. There's no physical being, but it does, as it enters into that space, it begins to view things from a whole new perspective. It begins to see, to see more of a world, less of a, less of a, of, 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 of energy, less of a soul. Yeah, that's what it, yes. Oh, I'm not exactly sure. If the Nefshah Bahamas makes its way through various... Uh, yeah. The passage is Master in the mind of the Nefshah Bahamas also has a journey. Right? We'll see later. Not just that, but in... in yeah, we'll see soon. Now... No, explains why... Oh, the Gamsech Lanushi, it also has an intelligence. Kol Nefesh Kalula Machabat. Because every soul has with... Every soul, meaning even the animal soul, in order to make up a full functioning persona of a soul, the soul incorporates within itself also an intelligence. Chabad, meaning the three main intellectual faculties of Chachma bin Adas. Chachma is, compre- uh, is um, conceptualization, and Bina is uh, uh, comprehension, understanding, and Das is knowledge. These are the three elements of, 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 of processing Processing intelligence or, or, or information. So, kikol nefesh klula machabat, because every soul has within itself the chabad, the chachma bimedas, umidois, and emotions. To make up for a, full, for a full soul, a soul has within itself these two, these two elements an intelligence and an emotional, and an emotional uh, um, status. Umitsida, and from the perspective of this soul, yacho adam liyois ma'over a person could be a transgressor of God's will. God forbid. Because due to the fact that this soul is so, is so, so little awareness of, of, of Hashem, and therefore it's able to go against God's will. As it says, V'nefesh kisechta. There's a verse in somewhere in Vayikra where it says, V'nefesh kisechta. A soul that sins. What does it say? A soul that sins. A simple People, a soul referring to a human being. And people usually say, you know, don't tell a soul. Doesn't mean, you know, it means a person. But when the Pasha says, the Nefesh Kisechta, the Altered understands it as, as meaning, no, literally, even the soul in man can take part. It's not just the body that, that it drives. It's the soul. Because the body is just as, doesn't have an awareness. It's the soul, the animal soul. This refers to the Nefesh, meaning the Nefesh of Bahamas, the animal soul, that this can be brought to sin. Why? Because of the multitudes of concealment and contractions, that cover up and conceal the infinite light 
blessed is he, Nedel Adam, it appears to man, Shuhuyesh Vidabasayatma. It appears to man that he's a somebody, that he's a something, something apart and separate from God. And therefore, if I'm a separate being, if I don't if a person doesn't sense that his source of being of very as very existence is constantly being rejuvenated and, and, and brought into existence by God. So if one feels every second that his existence is nothing more than a divine energy that's for bringing him into existence every second, how can he go against his very, his very grain of his being, the very source of his being? But it's only because of all this concealment that things seem to be, life just to seem, seems to have its own, its own existence. It doesn't mean coming from any. That's how the soul views itself and it views the world that way. And that's why the soul is able to do, act in a way contrary to God's will. So that's one soul. And now we have Nefesh Hashemis, the Yisrael, and then we have what? The second soul. The second soul in Israel, Nikra Nefesh Kis. The second soul is called the godly soul. It's about, which that soul, it says, is Chelek of a kind, Mamal. It's literally a piece from God from above. This is a soul that is an extreme. Not only is it a holy soul, but as we say, this soul is a godly soul. He habola adam, and this comes to man beliem tzayim This soul originates in the divine realm, but here, this soul, even as it descends down into the body, it comes down to man without any intermediaries. It comes directly into man. as it says. And God created man straight to be a, a, a straight, decent human being. That's a simple interpretation. What is the deeper... And all corruption that's already what we do to ourselves. But God created the human being to be yasha, to be, to be honest and decent. However, the deeping meaning is that when God created man, Adam, so when God created man, he created him directly, Yasha, without any intermediaries. Meaning, as opposed to all of creation, all the rest of creation, the life force as it, as it travels to give life to all of existence passes through the whole system of Ishtalshalus, which means the chain-like progression of the various consumers and contractions that conceal and hide and dim, dim the divine. To the point, therefore, all creations are separated and feel themselves um, disconnected dis- detached and disconnected from God and see themselves as separate entities. That's true not only of the animal soul, that's true of all creations, physical creations in this world. However, there is one thing that's different. There's one, one exception, and that is the unique Jewish soul. The Jewish soul that we have is a divine consciousness. This is a higher form of, of feeling which comes directly for God, which has not been impacted and has not been affected by all the levels concealing God. And therefore, it comes directly into man. And therefore, it retains that sensitivity. That awareness that it has pre-creation. That what if there's none but God. And that all existence is just a projection of God. And so this soul senses that. Because even though the spider came into this physical world, and generally, it, it too has to pass through the system. But even when it passes, it's not impacted by it. It doesn't change. It's not, it doesn't pick up. It doesn't change its attitude. And it's, it's awareness, its sense of reality doesn't get distorted. It retains its pure sense of reality, which is the reality of Hashem. Kamashakasav, as it says, and that's what it means. Hashem created man directly. 
without all this. Kamashakostov, as it says, the atom the fachtobi, and you blew it into me. So what does it mean, the atom the fachtobi, you blown it into me? So the Rebbe speaks about creation of man. It says that God blew it into his nostrils. So we say, the Rebbe says, take a look at the words. We say this in, actually, in Alakainashan in the morning. You've blown it into me. So what is the Ba'atonafachta? You blew, meaning directly from God's breath into our nostrils. No intermediates. It's still warm from Hashem's, from, from being incorporated, being totally absorbed in Him. You literally, without anybody in the middle, impacting the soul. God blew into his nose, nishmas chayim, the soul of life. And, and to take that example, that analogy further, so just like the breath of a human being that, that he exhales, that comes out of a person, which why? Which is clearly, as you're blowing, the breath has a, a constant, uh, is attached to the blower, to the source of where it's coming, where it's emanating from. There's nothing in between, or else the blow, the, the breath stops. So the breath, there, the, there is a, a direct a line connecting the breath to the to its source. So too is with um, is with the neshama. The neshama is a direct; it hasn't lost touch with its with its origins. The can and more than that, when when we say the when we're speaking about human breath, what happens to the breath that you exhale? On the one hand, it's an exhale. It's still attached. There is still that, what do you call it, that um, wind, that, um, um, oh, another word. What are you trying to describe? That wind, that, no, there's a, oh, 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 um, whatever, okay. And I, I, just somewhere in the back of my mind there's a word that eluded me. Alright, so, so, um, but, so there is a connection. But on the other hand, the breath left, left where it was. It was one part with, contained within, within the body of the, of, of the one that's blowing. And once you blow, it goes out, it leaves, it exits the person. However, by God, even though on the one hand we say he blew in the shaman, which, 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 which expresses that wafat, the soul, even though it is a part of God, but now has left and separated itself to some degree. So we say, by God, the whole thing is leaving him, because he's everywhere. So the, the only reason we have described it as a breath that has left God is to give the soul some identity. Because if we're talking about a breath that's still within the speaker, within the breather, so then it has no identity, because then it's lost and drowned and what? In the greater, greater breath, of, of the person. If you have, let's say, one, one breath of air, but that breath, before it has become separated, you can't identify it as a breath. It's lost in your greater, greater, for, your greater breath, as you can say. This little bit of breath is lost in the greater force of life that's within you. It doesn't have any identity. Here we want to speak about the soul becoming some sort of being. So therefore we say God blows it, giving it a, a, an identifiable existence. But at the same time, the soul never really left. So as it is an identifiable existence, it's completely lost and drowned in God's life to the point that it hardly, hardly feels itself. What it really, what it senses is the divine reality that is none but Him. That's the Nisham. 
as he says, nevertheless, it is completely unified with him, without any interpretation, without any separation. There's no word, there's no speech that can go out of him. Some things like, it could say Dover, there's nothing, nothing really outside of it. So even though in truth, that's true about every creation. Every creation is really submerged in God. When you can say, all of I, all exist, Hashem created the world, which seems to be, which is a real existence, but really God is everywhere. So everything is still submerged in Him. And that's not only true about the soul. So the, the truth is, that's true about everything. But that truth is completely hidden from the creation. So the creations, as they see it, as they view themselves, view themselves as something separate and apart from us. It's only true from God's perspective that He sees that everything is really one with Him. But from the perspective of the creation, they're separate, they're apart. But from the neshama, from the soul, the soul is the only thing that has the same percep- perception that God has. Just like God sees there's none but Him, the soul also sees that. Because the soul is still, with, within, its, within its own awareness, sees the, the truth that there's nothing outside of Him and it's completely absorbed in God, in, in Hashem. Okay. And, from, and therefore, from the perspective of the soul, it is not at all within the capacity and the possibility of a human being to sin at all. A person cannot commit a sin. And to be from those who transgress God's will. Since the soul is constantly united with its source, with its emanator, how can it, if it's completely wanted, it will be going against its very self. The Nishami can't do that. That's why a soul can, cannot sin, this godly soul. Zulas, however, the the problem, however, is that this God, so why don't we feel this? If, as Jewish people, we were blessed with this higher consciousness, with this higher being, and therefore, so, so, despite the fact that we have a negative, uh, external, superficial, outer self that, that, that senses the world as something separate from God and therefore uh, desires all kinds of ungodly things and unholy things. But we have a deeper consciousness. And since we have a deeper consciousness, that should prevail. That should keep a person in, 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 the, in the proper place in a constant state of attachment to Hashem. So the Rebbe says, however, the problem, the, 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 the thing is, Zula the godly soul has been completely immersed and, and, and invested into the animal soul. So the animal soul clothes it, and it covers it, and it conceals from Tashi and the godly light, as it explained in Lukutemar, meaning the animal soul blocks it. So does it mean that the Neshama doesn't see? Or I think it more means that we don't sense what our soul feels. That's sort of more what it is. We're not, we don't sense, we can't connect to Anishama because there is a thick husk of an animal soul that's blocking, separating, alienating us from our very soul that knows Hashem. That's why we all know that there are moments in our lives where out of nowhere, out of the blue, we're not totally unprepared, we don't know where it comes from, but we have such an elated feeling. We can see and feel and sense something so much deeper and truer. We can sense a very powerful passion towards God. We can sense that Hashem is the only reality and we want to de- devote ourselves and commit ourselves completely to spirituality and holiness and so forth. There are those unique, beautiful moments 
in our lives. And what is that? So that's coming because that's a moment of exposure. It's a moment that the inside, this godly soul, has, 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 you've tapped in. The human consciousness, your consciousness has gone deeper into itself to experience the perspective of a godly soul. Most of the time our consciousness hovers on the more external layers of our being, on the animal soul. And if, if we can look at it sort of like an elevator. So the elevator could be on the first floor, it could be in the second floor. You have two stories, right? Most of the time, our, our, the, the elevator is on the lower floor at the bottom. And time to time, the elevator rises up to the second floor. Which means we ourselves, our consciousness, rises from our animal consciousness to our godly consciousness. To see things from a higher perspective, from a deeper place. And over there, there's Enos Novada. There's none but God. And over there, there's no possibility for sin. So we stand on Yom Kippur, we stand in, on Rosh Hashanah, and with such absolute commitment, and with such absolute certainty, we say to God, we will never sin again, we will always obey your commandments, we're committing ourselves with complete. And then sometimes we wonder what happened to it later. Where is it gone? And then we begin to question, maybe we were liars, maybe we were just deceiving ourselves, maybe we were fakers, maybe it wasn't real. Maybe all that was just, was just a figment of our imagination. But when we learn over here, we realize that's not true. It is very, very true. It's just that those are unique, auspicious moments when we connect to a deeper consciousness, to the deeper elements of what we know in a deeper place. And over there, the person is willing to make all commitments, a full commitment, Tasha. So only the problem is to hold on to that place and not and not let go of it. Okay, as we're going to see. We stay, yes. Even though you think the world is different, the way you think of the world is different, the way you think of the world is different, the way you think of the world is different, the way you think of the world is different, the way you think of the world is different, the way you think of the world is different, the way you think of the world is different, the way you think of the world the way Everybody, in essence, descends, originates in Chachmilah, in Hashem's wisdom. And the difference between the Nefesh, the soul of Tzadikim, and the soul of sinful people is that they were impacted more in the Sederist Asus. They become like the toenails. And then the souls of Tzadikim, they remain in the level of Moichim, of Hashem's uh, So that, that you have to see how it fits, how does that consist, how does that fit with what we're saying over here, that the Neshama comes down blue and time, without any intermediate and it comes directly in, and therefore it's still contains. So here's the thing. So now we have, I don't know, I mean, it needs to be reconciled. But now, maybe the altar of when he's single, it means it's not so effective, it means of course relative to the animals. Relative to that change that is taking place in all other existence, in the Shaman school. Now, but let's go back to what we mentioned something before. The Nefeshulikis come down to live, to reside within this animal soul, this higher consciousness enters into the lower animal consciousness. And the point over here is that together they will live, they will share their life in one body together. Now, the thing is like this. The, the neshama, I mentioned before, is too subtle to, to, to move, to animate, to uh, energize the body. So the body cannot respond to the neshama. The body can only respond to the animal soul. So, if the neshama, for example, wants to stimulate any activity within the human being, if the soul wants to drive the human being to do something 
holy and godly. So what is the only way the soul has in order to accomplish this? It has to, it has to get the assistance of the animal soul. Because it cannot see anything through in the body. You can't, for example, if you want to extend your hand, say your neshama experiences uh, 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 a, 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 a compassion for a poor person or the mitzvah of giving to the you're motivated you want to do that mitzvah but in order to do that there's a physical act that's necessary you have to stick your hand in your pocket get your wallet out and get a dollar bill out and give it to the poor person so that involves a physical act the soul with all of its passion to do a mitzvah and with all of its excitement cannot get the hand to move the only way it can get to do that is it must transmit that command to the animal soul, and the animal soul is the one who actually gets the hand to move and gives it to God. And by doing that, it's what the soul is now creating or bringing about a refinement and a sublimation of the animal soul. The animal plays the animal consciousness, which is a consciousness of darkness, a, 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 a consciousness that doesn't recognize God and therefore doesn't submit to God and doesn't accept God's sovereignty is now being directed by the Neshama to go ahead and follow God's wishes. So that's a refinement. That can be a refinement in activity. Every time, for example, a person is uttering words of prayer, the animal soul at this time is being dragged along in, a, in an act of holiness, in an act of submission to the divine will. So that's more on an external level. The person is now driving his animal soul in a in, in at least on the level of behavior, that it should behave consistent with God's will. In contrast to what the animal soul would like to do with its, with its energy, with its ability to, with its, uh, with its ability, its mobile or robotic power, it would like to be doing things that will satisfy its own will, its own desire, that will serve its own interests. Nevertheless, when the Nephesolitis, the godly soul, imposes upon it God's will, so now the animal soul is being is, is 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 transforming its energy that it has, its physical energy that it has to serve God. So that's a, a refinement and an elevation of the animals. Deeper than that, slowly but surely, not only is the behavior in a human being changed, but also the feelings of the animals. Meaning, on the, as we just mentioned above, it means on a behavioral level, the person will do the mitzvah, even though their heart is not there even though their inner self would rather, much rather do something else. But, they're, they're, but, but the godly soul has power to force an act. So the animal soul is submitting, but it's submitting only in, an ex- in its an external self. It would much rather be doing something else. I'd much rather be laying in bed now and reading a book instead I came to the ship. So the animal soul has been dragged from its comfort zone, from its place of non, and coming to, to do Hashem's will. But that doesn't mean it changed internally, it changed externally. That itself is already refinement. But then as a person moves ahead in their life, there's slowly but truly a change also in the inner the animal soul. Meaning the passions, the, 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 the desires, the, 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 um, the aspirations and, 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 um, and uh, appetites of the animal soul also change. Because as the godly soul resides in the, in the body, it begins to teach the animal. It begins to change its whole mindset that there is a God and there is a Creator and Hashem is the source of all life and you should be desiring to get close to Him. And one's, one's, one's human self also changes. Not only that this is, as we, go, as we move ahead in life, we change. And it's interesting, we all find it within ourselves. We all see within ourselves that um, 
in the early stages as a child, the ego is very powerful. Very, very powerful. And there is that a space within ourselves that's completely dark. What do you mean dark? A space within, within a person that doesn't want to know God, wants to just do its own thing. But if a person is followed, of course, this is the pathway of Torah and Mitzvah, and studies and learns and so forth, so only but truly there's their whole perspective, inner perspective change. They start appreciating different things, start coming closer. Their entire being shifts. Their sense of reality shifts. What's important in life shifts. And that's, and that's the purpose of the Altered It's really the whole purpose of life, is to transform darkness into light. If we wouldn't have a Nefesh Bahamas, then we would only have a godly soul. Then, of course, all activity within the human being would be holy activity. Would be God. Because we said before, the godly soul cannot, cannot sin. The godly soul is totally committed to God's will. So therefore, the person would have one long, continuous life of, of serving Hashem and doing only mitzvah. That would be the, 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 the perpetual motion of the human being would be the service of Hashem. Now that, now that we have an animal soul, so there is conflict. There's a lot of resistance. And therefore, there's a lot of time that we waste with what? With all kinds of other stuff. Because the animal gets into the way. But nevertheless, what comes out is something extremely beautiful. And that is, if the godly soul serves God, of course, it's a soul of light. It's a soul that, so it, the divine reality is conspicuous, it's open, it's revealed. So of course it, 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 it serves God. God derives pleasure when darkness is transformed to light. When a soul that lives in the world of darkness, a soul that lives in its own dark space, where Hashem has not imposed Himself. See, in the Neshama, God has imposed Himself. The soul can't help but know God. God has overwhelmed the Neshama, the higher soul, the godly soul, with an awareness of Him. So the Neshama has, has no choice but to acknowledge and recognize God. But the animal soul that, that Hashem has not imposed is, is, is being and allowed it to exist in its own dark space. So when that dark soul changes its course and begins slowly but slowly to bring light into itself and slowly shifts and starts serving Hashem and submitting itself to God, so like by Bikzadikim, there is a total, total transformation that the, the very animal in man, every aspect of their being, turns to the service of Hashem. Their only love that they have in their heart is only love to God. Their only fear is fear of God. All their human experience turn exclusively to the service of Hashem, then you have darkness being transformed to light. But even if we don't do it in a radical sense like great tzaddikim do it, but each and every one of us does it to a certain extent. Every moment when you're refraining from doing something you want to do, because God said no, you're bringing light into a dark place, because the animal soul doesn't want to know from God. The animal soul says, I exist and I do as I wish. And I'll do something that gives me delight and gives me pleasure. But here the Nishama says, no, there is a God in the world and He created you and you have to submit to Him. So light has entered into the dark cellar and the darkest crevice of the human being in the darkest space over there Hashem has entered. That darkness transforms the light. And that's the point of all mitzvahs and so on. Let's read inside. Yes. Yes. True that there are times that the, that the animal soul gets control and seems to darken even the world of the Nefeshulikis. But hopefully, by, we hope that, you know, in the process of our lives, that, 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 that also, of course, gets impacted and changes. Uh, at least on the external levels, it, 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 it can get quite darkened uh, through the experience of the Nefesh Bahamas. But, 
the, the question is like this. We hope that in the end, the final thing is, after the whole struggle, that the Nefesh Lekis has ended up uh, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the profit zone. And the Nefesh of Ahamas has, has lost its, uh, yes? I don't know exactly the whole system of incarnation. It's, they always work together. It seems a little bit, as we're going to see soon, that they, they, they do hang around each other, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But here's another point, just one more thing, is that as these two souls come together, they become so entwined as one unit that you don't really sense like it's two different souls. It's like, they're com- yeah, that's right, they, they become completely enmeshed, that they work completely together. Yes? The albums were born. Uh, also with an animal soul. Even no, of course, say, you know, people sometimes are born in higher places and stuff like that, but even they have to struggle through the darkness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Yeah. Nefesh. Oh, by the way, let's read the parentheses. When these two souls, Nikra Bakasov, that is why in, 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 the, in the verse these two souls are referred to, Bitalmenu Kidmusenu. That God created man in his image, in his likeness. So what is this double language? Betalmenu in his image, Kidmuseinu in his likeness. So the Rebbe says this refers to the two souls. Talmenu in the divine image means literally the image of God meaning like a continuation of God. It's godly. Likeness is like... Um, I was going to explain over here, it's like a model. Model means it's something that's, that's apart, something that's separated. For example, the, the, the marshal that is given in the other memorandum about this, it's sort of like a reflection in a mirror. It's a likeness, but it's something completely different. It's not, there is the person, and there is the reflection in the mirror. Reflection is apart, something else. So the two souls are just, the godly soul is like an extension part of God, because part of divine reality. But this soul is already apart. It's like, it's called in the image of God because it's made in the image of intellectual, they have the intellect and the emotions, which is the image that Hashem has projected in creating the world. But nevertheless, it is in, in a state of complete separateness. So naturally, it's the godly soul, is in the image, and the vitalizing soul, the mus, that's the lifeless. And behold, the scent of the godly soul into the world, is the godly soul's mission and purpose is to enclose itself in the animal soul and the vitalizing soul habahamis in the animal soul and to wrestle and to wage war with it this is what life is all about life is all about a war a battle zone between the two souls they're going to constantly rest so this is an old uh, understanding in Yiddishkeit that life is Yetzir Tov and Yetzir From the beginning of the Torah we see that Hashem places choices in front of a, front of a human being and other Mauritian already. And right there he has to make his choice. But in, when we begin in, from the Hasidic literature it becomes more emphasized that not only a, a battle of two inclinations but two, two souls, two complete separate personalities, two, two, 
two, two, two separate consciousnesses that blend together and become one and wrestle with each other all the life. One of them pulling towards earthiness, one of them pulling towards physical gratification, materialism, and the other one pulling towards spirituality and truth. And every moment of one's life is a, is a fight between these two. And the question is, how will I live at this very next moment? Will I live as an expression of my godly soul? Will I let my divine consciousness dominate my next moment and my decision, what will I do in the next moment? Will my next moment be in the service of God, or will my next moment be to detach from a higher purpose? So the point that the godly soul comes in is to fight with the animal soul and to refine it. Not only to... See, it's not a man has to choose between the two souls, and by choosing your godly soul, the godly soul emerges the victor, and the animal soul has been, has been rejected. It's not the rejection, it's the refinement. Because if you choose to follow your neshama, it means that the God, animal soul is forced to participate. Like it says, Malach Rab al The evil angel says Friday night when a Jew comes home from Shul, he has two malachim coming with him. And as he comes home, if the house has been set up for Shabbos, there's one good malach and one evil malach. So if the house is beautiful, so the, 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 the table is set, and the beds are made, and it looks shabbos so the, the malach says that next week should also be that way. And the, and the malach ra has to what, give his consent and say, Amen. If the opposite, then it's right. So now, uh, similar to that, the, the, no, I'm saying, no, but the malach in the church, if the house is in the dismay, so then the... He, he says that it should be sort of like that next week, and maybe, uh, I think, doesn't say that? I don't know. Maybe he has to say that. Sometimes, yeah. I guess it has to be an uh, even thing. Um, so that, but over here, it's not really, Here, the godly soul, again, gets the, the animal soul to participate, whether willingly. That's, that's if it's able to educate and transform and make a deeper change in the animal soul. Then it gets it to consent willingly. Or even if it's not willingly, even if it compels it. But nevertheless, that itself constitutes a refinement. Ulevadara to refine it. To separate the good from the bad. What's the good? The good is the potential of the animal soul to serve God. That's its good. That bad is what? All of its mishigas, all of its other, other uh, desires and wants that are not healthy and not godly. And that has to be rejected. And to elevate it to God. And the main point is to take darkness and transform it to light. So a lot of times we're generally used to thinking, especially if we read a lot of Chabad literature, so we always talk about transforming darkness into light in the world. It's a big world out there and we have to turn darkness into light, which is very true. Every person has to change their, their environment to bring more divine godly awareness to all the people in the workplace, wherever you go. But it really begins in your own life. There is a big space, dark space within you. The part of you that doesn't want to serve Hashem. And in that spot, dark space, you have to bring holiness. Now, and for that reason, we're called the Shein Yisrael. And that is the reason why we're called Yisrael. That's the reason of our name. Commercial cost of the name Israel. Commercial cost of it, it says, What is the significance of the name Yisrael? It's because you have... It says about Yaakov Avinu. Now Yaakov Avinu was fighting with the angel, so when he was victorious over the angel of Esav, over the angel, it says, as a result of that, from now on your name is going to be Yisrael, because you have, you have overpowered Sarisa, you've been a minister, you've ministered over the animal soul, and be, uh, over the, over Elohim, over the, over the angel, 
and with people, Batuchal, and you've, 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 you've uh, prevailed and won over them. So what is the deeper meaning that I've explained? Piddish, the meaning is, that the godly soul should rule over the vitalizing, animating soul, Abraham is the animal soul, to transform to transform all of its thoughts and all of its and all of its impulses and all of its uh, emotions. that are not geared toward God, turn it from bad to good. That's what it is. So the battle of life consists to what? That the nefesh of kiss, that's the purpose of a Jew in this world. To bring their neshama, their holy consciousness, their holy awareness down into their life and to dominate their life that way. That what? That the animal soul should also be forced to provide holy thoughts instead of unholy thoughts. Which, which it would naturally do without the interference of the, of, of the godly soul. So the neshama has to constantly try to fight over the thought. That's what we always find that there's a struggle over our thoughts. Our minds sometimes like to wander off into, into all kinds of stuff, sometimes uh, mundane, sometimes maybe even sinful. And the neshama has to constantly you know, fight with that and say, no, this is not good. You shouldn't be thinking this. I should be thinking words of Torah. I should be thinking holiness. So it's a struggle of thought. But if you do manage to capture the thought and direct your thought in the right place, into holy thought. So you have taken a very powerful element of your animal soul, which is its power of thought, and taken it from evil to good, turned it from good. And if we can go deeper than ever, says to get not only to the animals, the thoughts, but to actually get into the inner part of the animal soul, get to its emotions, and to turn its love and cravings from a craving and a desire for, for, for plain, simple, um, unholy pleasure, to turn it towards a, 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 a love for God. And that's what it means, Yisrael. Yisrael means the dominant one. Yisrael is because we win over Elohim the Nanash. What did the Pasuk emphasize? That Kisarisa, he has prevailed and he has, be, he has overpowered Elohim, which means angelic beings, the Nanashim and human beings. Now, simply it meant that by Yaakov Avinu, he fought against the angel of Esau, and he also wrestled with Lavan, and he was able to win over them, and that's why he's called Yisrael. So he fought with people and with angels. But what does it mean in the life, in the personal life of every Jew? So the Rebbe says this refers to the two levels of conquering that one is able to conquer his ego. Two levels of conquering. The, more, the lower level of conquering is, as we said before, conquering the activities. Conquering the practical part of the animal. So what will I do? I will behave in accordance to God's will. That's called men. Men is, when it says Anashan people, it means more the practical side of the human being, the behavior of the man. Elohim means digging into the more deeper levels of the animal soul, into the emotions. And if one is able to conquer even the emotions like Tzadikim do, so generally, by the way, in Tanya, the Altarebbe discusses that these are really two, two, two different personalities. There is the, 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 the personality that he deems that he calls the Benoni, intermediate man, and there's the one that he calls the Tzadik. The Benoni is the person who, 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 who's, who's able to control, who manages to get full control over his entire behavior. His entire life he listens only to his neshama, to his godly soul, and never ever falls prey to the lusts and desires of his animal soul. Never. He will always do what's right. But nevertheless, deep inside, he still experiences powerful impulses, powerful 
um, 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 cravings to the unholy. But he doesn't give in to it. So he manages to transform the anashim, the people that's the bane. The tzaddik is someone who makes the inner transformation, an internal change. And even the very, very negative impulses themselves that were driving towards the unholy are re- redirected towards, towards, towards godliness and holiness. So that's what he explains over here, prevailing over godly and prevailing over men. Let's read it inside. He said, Meaning, the godly soul should rule on the vivifying animal soul to transform all her thoughts and all of her emotions. That by their very own nature is not for God. Because the animal soul doesn't know Hashem. knows only of itself. And to turn it and transform it from bad to good. And now he explains what are the Anashim and what are the Elohim. The Amidah is Nikro Elohim. And the Midos are called Elohim. Why? Because Elohim means, Kumashikasav as it says, Vayavayu Bnei Elohim. It says that when Eov, it says that the children of God came to present themselves on Rosh Hashanah before God, referring to various angels, the Targuma and the translation of the Targum was Bnei Ravravaya, the people of the great ones, the children of the great ones. What is the ultimate how is that a proof that the Midas are called Elohim? Okay, it says over there that the angels... So first of all, it's interesting. I checked this up in Eel, and the Targum in Eel on, on the words B'nai Elohim doesn't say this. But in, in, in Bereshis, when it says at the end of Pasha's Bereshis, it speaks about the, 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 the corruption that was going on in the end of the days of Adam, so it says that the children of Elohim came into the world and they took wives and so forth and uh, they had these giants and so forth. It speaks about the corruption. I want it says also B'nai Elohim. And over there it says B'nai Rav Ravai. So I, 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 it seems that in the back they quote this, but in the Mimer itself, I don't know what he means that the Targum of the words B'nai Elohim is that. Right. So the Targum of the main thing is B'nai Rav Ravai. But what, is, what does it have to do with this? It seems like from the Mithra Rebbe's interpretation of the minor over here, it seems like it explains to something like this. That the internal elements of the animal soul, the emotions and so forth, their original, the original source of these, of these powerful uh, emotions that the animal soul possesses, which we all experience as powerful impulses towards all kinds of things, its, its source are from the world of Bria. Meaning it lives in a holy world, it's a pure world. But over here, that's where life is in full potency. Because that's, that's a higher world, closer to the divine source, to the work. The world of, there is the world of Bria, the world of creation. There's a world of Yetzirah, the world of formation. There's a world of action. Our world is called Olam Asir. So our, in the world of action, everything is far more reduced and minimized. So therefore, our world is more characterized by activity, by actions. The world of Bria is more characterized by a world of what? The world of emotion, a world of intelligence, and a world of emotion. Bria is, yeah, compared to, compared to Yetzirah, it's a world of, of Sheikhah, right? But, nevertheless, we do speak about the, 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 uh, the Malachim having powerful uh, experiences of Malach Michal with love, and Malach Avril and fear, it's all in the world of Bria, right? So there is this, this, this dominance, the power of, of emotion. So that's where the, the emotions originate. The emotion, the human emotions, the animal emotions, are connected to the forces of Bria. 
and the and the and the and the activity of man, the power, the mobile, the, the practical the, uh, activity of man, that's connected more to the world of Ashiyah. And therefore, he says, Benayalukim is talking about these angelic beings of the upper world, which are really the source of man's emotion. So since the Targum translates Benay Ravravayim, the men of the great men, right? For, for the word Benayalukim, so Ravravayim, not exactly sure. Because Robert Ryan is great men. So what does that have to do with what does that have to do with with it being emotions? So there he only explains that it has to do with, 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 with the Malachim of Bria. So what does that have to do with emotions? How do you see from the Venera of Ravaya that this is emotions? So it's not clear. I don't know. So the Imanashim and with men, what is men referred to? This refers to the actions of man. To transform them from bad to good. And how did that take place? So that's why we're called Yisrael. Every Jew has been called Yisrael because what's dominating in a Jew is his godly, is his godly consciousness, his godly soul. So to change it, through the godly soul. That is completely united with its source. Without any concealment at all. That this brings rectification, this brings refinement, and elevates the animal soul to do what? To be nullified, and to be reabsorbed in the light of God. Because when the animal soul engages in a mitzvah, at that moment, its space is pervaded by a godly, by a godly energy, by, by Hashem. God has entered and infiltrated into its faith because now it serves as a conduit for Hashem's will. And Hashem's, if God and His will are one. So God is now flowing through the human being and through that very same ego that up till now has been blocking and denied God altogether. It's now a channel and a conduit for God's will to be realized. So this is why it becomes totally absorbed in the light of Hashem. So darkness is transformed into light. The ego is the apple. Yeah. And this is why it's called Yisrael. And more in particularly, now he's going to break the word down, the etymology of the word Yisrael. He says, comes from two words. Last week, we had one interpretation. This week, the Alter gives another interpretation of Yisrael. Yisrael. What does Yisrael mean? Yashar Kel. Yashar means the straight one. Right? As we said before, man has two elements within it. Man has a part within which we would say is crooked. The part of it that has been affected by all this concealments and concealments and therefore it gets an extremely distorted, crooked, messed up vision of reality. Right? That's the animal soul. That's the, the crooked aspect of the human being. But then there is the part that's Yasha, that's directly from God and sees things from its true perspective, as it really is. So we say a Jew has what? Has the element of Yasha, of directness, and that Yasha, Kale. Kale means of power. Chayvek, strength. Kale comes from the word uh, um, um, Elim. Elim means the powerful ones. So, Yashar Kale means that in the Jews, the Yashar element, the, 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 the straight part of him, Kale is the dominant, has power to dominate over that part of him that is, that is, that is unholy. The Zehu, the Zehu Yisrael, Yashar Kale. The Kale, who wash in Kale is the, it means chayzik strength and rulership. to be victorious in its war in with the animal soul. 
And this is what it means to be a Jew. And this is what the prophet says. The days of our lives in them is 70 years. The verse we say Shabbos in the morning, the davening comes from Tehillim. It's from Yoshev, not from Tzilol and Moshe. So over there it says like this. It says, nation of Saint Abraham, Our days in them, 70 years. So what does it mean over here, our days in them is 70 years? What's the Bahem in them? It's talking about the human lifespan. There's most, generally 70 years. In Bigvuris, stronger one, Shemayim Shana, 80 years. So that's about it. So what, is, what does it mean, Yemeshen HaSeinu, Bahem in them? So that it says, Yemeshen HaSeinu, the point, the days of our lives that we live, what? Bahem in them, meaning with the two souls. Our life as we have it today, and incorporate a, 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 a marriage of these two souls, is in them, Shivim Shana, 70 years. If these two souls living together have to live together for 70 years. And the point of it is that the godly soul should rub off on the animal soul. Because every single day, is a whole new war. It's a whole new fight. Because even if one has prevailed yesterday, a man is to take hold of the reins of his life and directed his life, his day, to the service of God. Sometimes you look at a day and you say, oh, today was hopefully you know, a day that I've tried at least my best to serve Hashem to the best of my ability. So you think, ah, now I can let my guard down because I've done it already. I've busted my animal soul. I busted my ego, and now it doesn't have any control over me anymore. So we say, no, tomorrow is a whole new battle, a whole new war. Because tomorrow the animal soul will wake up with new vigor and a full new power in trying to, to, to completely pollute one's, one's mind and one's perspective. And therefore, And because man's whole purpose in their life is to affect the change, and a transformation of the darkness of the animal soul. Therefore, the, lives, the lifespan of the human beings aren't the same. One person lives a longer life. One person lives a lesser life. And everything is dependent and in accordance to what? To the war that has to be fought. That one has to wage war with his animal soul. Meaning, the whole point of living in their life in this world, on planet Earth, in a physical body, was just to transform the animal soul. So the Rebbe seems to be making a very interesting statement that people that live shorter lives is because there's less in their animal soul, there's less impurity there, so they get the job done quicker, so the soul doesn't have to linger around there much longer. But people have more ra, stuck, in a bigger chunk of evil to deal, not because they're fault. It's not that they created it that way. If Hashem has given them a thicker chunk of animal soul, and it also depends on how powerful the soul is. To some soul, it could be, it depends on the, it depends on the quality and quantity of the ra, of the negative, of the, of the impurity that's stuck in the animal soul. It's like, depend, you're given, a, you're given a, 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 a raw piece of gold, full of impurities. You have to clean it. Depends how dirty it is. How many imperfections, how much filth it has in it. And it also depends on what kind of craftsman you are. So every soul is given a, a, a nefesh of But some of them take longer. And day to day, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that transformation that has to take place. So, let's read inside. Shezechai, this one lives in the Zechai Pachas. 
and it's all dependent on one and only thing, with the Erech HaMuchamesh HaTzarech Lucha in the Nefesh of Ahamus. In accordance to the, to the type of war, to, the, to that quality of the war that one has to fight with his animal soul. In accordance to the amount of evil, the portion of evil that's in it. And how many years that he has to, he has to struggle with the animal soul until he's able to change it to good. That's it. So it seems like, according here, that if someone, the secret uh, to longevity is to take the time. And not to transform the animal soul too fast. And then uh, you're given some more time. The first one doesn't say that. It says that the person is given a certain measure of how much God evaluated is needed to think. If the person doesn't do his job, he remains as an unrefined animal soul, and the time runs out anyways. It's just that you're given a certain amount of time and what Hashem has predicted. But anyways, you know, to say that this is the only... The Al-Tabedah seems to be saying this is the only purpose, the only thing that's there that determines man's life. Longer life, a shorter life, determining on, on this. This is the crux of the man. However, more specifically in detail, it's very interesting, the Mithra Rebbe, on the Mimer that he, which is based, see, the Mithra Rebbe would say, the, the Alter Rebbe's son, Rebbe Ber, uh, would say Maimarim on his, based on his father's discourses. But the Mithra Rebbe's Maimarim are far, far, much, much longer, and he elaborates at great length. So a page of the Alter Rebbe can be 30, 40 pages of elaboration in the Mithra Rebbe. So this is just an interesting uh, um, uh, uh, piece which I just wanted to read, not from what it is, where he speaks about uh, life. Um, for this it was given a certain amount set time for man's life. In all the, the, the days of, of, he says, of foolishness that we live in this world. This person has 70 years, and not 80 years. One will only live till 50. It all depends on how much tikkun, how much rectification they need to affect. And how much refinement they need in their animal social. Through the light of their soul. Which the soul comes from above down in order to refine and to rectify the to the 248 sparks that that fell down in the shattering of the vessels in the Klippa. Which generally, that represents the entire world of darkness that has to be refined, elevated, because our holy sparks that have fallen down, as he said it before about the animal soul itself, that it comes from a holy place, it only has fallen to a very lowly state, and now it has to be rectified and picked up again. So in accordance to one's amount of sparks that one has to elevate from his animal soul, that's the life. The Yochel and it's possible to be, that a person can do a birr and correct, through tshuva, through, through repentance and good deeds, and love and fear. As we said before, the refinement involves two levels. It involves practical behavior. It also involves the internal battle that goes on in man's heart. So these, these two things, if a person does a quick beer, the quickly, then he will end quickly. So it seems like one's life will aspire very fast if he does a good job. But, the Alter Rebbe says, that's what it says right away in parentheses. One could prolong his life, even after he's finished the job of 
through the merit of a mitzvah, or through prayer, to add on his days. Like Cheskio, that he added 15 years. Sometimes, because of an increase of a person's sins, it's sometimes possible that a person will be, God will see that the person is wrecking his life so badly that he will say, you know what, this person needs to be taken away before his time so that, so that he doesn't, uh, um, you know, we don't end up losing on the whole deal. Simply, when a person finishes his beer quickly, he doesn't need to be in this world and he leaves. Then there are people that need to live longer. So it needs for the person to complete that which he needs to refine. And to rectify that which needs to be rectified. And life, this matter, this is not at all dependent on man's deeds. What? If you live longer, short, in Tzadik and Russia, you say like, oh, Tzadik lives long and Russia dies early. It's not that way. There's a tzaddik that doesn't live long. This is all predetermined based on the amount of time that a person needs to rectify in this world from the 248 um, sparks, generation after generation. Meaning that one has a portion and the soul gets recycled again and again and depending on what is left over from the previous time that one has not completed. But who and this has to do with the secret of the of, of reincarnations of trans of, of, of reincarnations of souls. And according to the time that is needed, according to that set amount that one needs. this is a very powerful thing. That this is a a a a, a secret, a, a a mystery of mysteries. It's the most concealed thing. No one knows the secret of human life. Only God knows the amount of time that a person has to spend. And the, 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 this, there are many things that many people, that, that, that people that are uh, more holier people, godlier people can tap into and know. When it comes to and the amount of time that souls have to be, the Mithra the, Rebbe the, the says it's something something this is something that only, only, only Hashem knows. The rock, yeah. Well, there is a possibility he says there's more like, but that's a general idea. So it seems like there are other factors, but the general idea is life is given to a human being for what, the Shama doesn't have to live in this world for its own benefit, because the soul is pure and innocent, and so why would the soul come down to this dark world just to struggle? The Shama comes down here not to gain for itself, but to bring rectification and healing to God's world and to the animal soul Very long lives. Also, we have to see that. See, it's sort of like this. Those souls were more collective souls. They were much bigger souls. See, it says like there's. Other Mauritian soul. Originally, all souls are were one contained in one soul, which is other. Then it's splintered into many. But even when it broke into many, it first broke into greater pieces. Then it gets splintered into into more smaller fragments and smaller fragments, smaller fragments. So the souls of, of the earlier generations were broader souls. 
and therefore they had more to accomplish in one lifespan. They lived longer lives in the early, early days. Well, then, what? The Nefeshavah Kis and the Nefeshavah Bahamas. They got bigger chunks of, of Nefeshavah Bahamas and they had uh, a higher soul, so there was a longer life. But then as, as it got broken more into specific lives, the, the lives were shorter because of that. Because we got, I think so. Yes? What part of the souls are the Yitzhahara and the Yitzhahara and the are... Okay, what we call Yitzhahara and Yitzhahara is, is the, the, the Yitzhahara is the manifestation of the animal soul as it's already taken on an ugly form. And the animal soul by its very nature is not the animal soul ugly or... Meaning, the animal soul by its, in a, in a more broader sense, is not yet bad. doesn't... It just wants to be comfortable. It's, was, it's selfish by its nature. It wants its passions. When that passion turns to something nasty, to something unholy and something against Hashem's will, a sinful thing, then it's considered Yetzahara, evil inclination. So the Yetzahara is a specific form of, that the Nefesh Bahamas takes on. No, it is the Nefesh Bahamas. It's the Nefesh Bahamas in its... In its in its lowliest form. It's called the Yetzirah. What, 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 what Hasidus has done is that it explained that even if you go beyond Yetzirah, it's still unholy. Even if you're not dealing with Yetzirah, the man's general conscious, just the awareness of man is a very unholy awareness. It's much bigger than Yetzirah. Yetzirah is a push toward the sin. It's Yetzirah. And then one can say, you know, as long as I'm not experiencing, you know, uh, an actual uh, 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 appetite for doing something bad, then at this moment, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm occupying holy space. I'm a holy person. Because right now I don't have... So the alphabet says, no, 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 let's understand something. The, the, the unholiness is much broader than, than the actual desire for sin. Your whole sense of reality is an unholy sense. The fact that you... That you feel that there is other, that you are, that you're, that you're a Matthias, that you're a somebody, you're an existence outside of God, that you're a detached being, that itself is unknown. We can't call it Yetzahara, because there's not yet Ra, and there's no, um, there's no inclination to do something bad, but, it's, it's, but that's not, it's the ego. It's the ego itself, it's the soul itself. It makes the, yeah. No, this was the original plan that the soul should come in and, and work. But at that point, before they sinned, the Nefesh Bahamas was on a much higher refined level, but it was still an animal soul, and it still could have been elevated to much higher. If he had other Nafshin, then he would have also been dealing with an animal soul. But an animal soul that is far purer and holier than we have, and, and its job would have been to elevate the animal soul to even higher levels of sensitivity to holiness and value. But after the sin, the animal soul was dragged down to a much lower state of, of, of being. Yeah, but it dropped to a much. That's right. It became yeah 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 sort of. Yeah. Now yeah. Yeah. The struggle is part of the plan. The whole plan is a struggle. Till Mashiach comes. That's right. Yeah. Man was created for this war. 
right. Even before the Even before the Zahur And this is the meaning of the verse. The Atta Yisrael. But this gives such such comfort. Because sometimes we get we get so so depressed by the struggle. And we feel like this is that that, that that's so that 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 indicates that I'm such a bad human being. I'm outside of the divine plan. Look what I look what I experienced. And so that that other is saying, no, this is this is this is the plan. God desired and God wanted all along that you should struggle. He appreciates the struggle. He loves the struggle. It's music in his ears. The struggle that you have, the fight that you have every day, again and again. And don't get don't get uh, 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 um, disheartened by the fact that you experience all these. Uh, all these unholy feelings because you're meant to feel these unholy feelings but you're meant to conquer them and, 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 and not give in to them and turn it to the and that Mizah and this is also the meaning of the verse the Atta Yisrael and now Israel no Hashem Hashem and what is God asking of you to fear Him Pasuk and says eight. and now Israel God says what is God asking of you Generally, we read the verse as one long verse. And now, Israel, what does God ask of you only to fear it? However, over here, the Rebbe just focuses on these two words. Va'ata Yisrael. Now you're Israel. Now you're called Yisrael. Later, when Mashiach comes, when the war is going to be over, when the rectification will be complete, there's no, you're not called Yisrael anymore. Because Yisrael means the Yashar. The Yasha, the straight part of you, is the dominant force, which implies that there is something that is resisting, there is something that you have to dominate over. There is a fight going on, there is friction going on in, 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 in the human being. That's what it implies. And also Yisrael meaning, you're fighting over the other forces, forces of, of, of unholiness, that are pulling to us in, in the opposite direction. So it's saying, now, during our, our, our lifetime on earth, now we're called Yisrael. Now, in this time, that the evil is still mixed with good. The soul goes by the name Yisrael. Why? Because its duty and its function is it needs to gain dominance and to be victorious and to prevail over the animal soul. And to transform her from bad to good. But in the future, Nemar it says that the spirit of impurity will be go away from the land, which means that one man will not experience now will have only one singular heart, because the entire human experience will be uh, uh, will be will be pervaded with the divine truth, and therefore there won't be anything else to crave but Hashem, because that's going to be experience of the only reality. So therefore, there's no struggle anymore. And there won't be any evil anymore because there won't be any more consumers. And then there won't be necessary award, any, any, any battle anymore. And we won't be called anymore Yisrael. So now, Yisrael, you're called Yisrael. But then, they're not going to be called Yisrael anymore. The Ephshet, the name of the Jews, Jews will not be called Israel. What then will be our name? The Ephshira Indian, so the Tzemach Tzedek adds, it's possible that it is, to the Isra the Gemara, Pedikei the Baba Basra, it says in Gemara, in the fifth chapter of the Sechtes Baba Basra, Al Apostol, Nikra Bishri, Ayim Shabbat, Tirish Ashbah. There's a passage that says, those of who are called in my name, Kol Nikra Bishri, whoever is called in my name, 
and for my honor, I created it, I formed it, I made So there's a verse like that. So over there in the Sechus Yumah, on Sechus Babababas, the Gemara says, Amr Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Yechanan said, I think in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, I'm not sure, but Rabbi Yechanan says, Asidim Tzadikim, that in the future the Tzadikim are going to be called, Sheyikro, they're going to be called, Al Shmoy Shalakadim Baruch. Tzadikim are going to be called in God's name. Okay, they're going to be called in God's name. What does that mean, that we're going to be called in God's name? So the Rebbe says, Bukin Mashbam, meaning we can say, it means something. So the Rashbam says, means there's no Rashi in the second of the box, there's one of the that doesn't have Rashi. In the beginning, there's a little Rashi. They have to, with after the third third, there's no Rashi. There's Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam. So the Rashbam writes two words. What's going to mean? They're going to be called in God's name. Shmam Havaya. The name of the Jew is Havaya. Yutkevavke. That's going to be the name of Tzadikim. Now, Ba'amlech Kulon Tzadikim. All Jews are Tzadikim. And he's literally the name of a Jew. He's going to be God's name. Every Jew. Because literally, what's the truth of a Yid? A Jew is God in this world. That's a Jew. Because a Yid's Nisham, as we said before, has not been affected by the, the layers and layers that bring about creation. The Jew's soul is what? Is Havaya. That's what a Yid is. It's only that in this world we can't call a Jew Havaya. Because not every act of a Jew is what? Is, 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 is an expression of his Nisham. There's so much in our lives that are because that comes from our animal soul, that's blocking, that isn't divine, that isn't hope. So now we're still in the midst of the struggle. So now we're called Yisrael, because the, the Havaya part in us, the Kale in us, is still is, is, is fighting for dominance. It wants full control. It's not exactly there yet. So it's in the, in the midst of the battle, but once Mashiach comes and the beer and the, re, the rectification has been done, and now the animal soul and the body is a conduit for the Nisham. So what? what's the soul? Hashem, godliness, and that's that's what's going to be projected to the whole world. That Yidn Aravayim, right? Yeah, Tzadikim, and all that time are still on that, are 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 on, the, on those levels. That's right. That's why Reb Shimon Bar said, in a fascinating statement, in Reb Shimon Bar who already attained the level of of Mashiach during his lifetime. So he says, there's a, a statement in the Zohar. What does it say in the Zohar? That three times a year you should come see it's Panea Adon Hashem. You come see the face of the Master God. So the words of the Zohar are this astonishing word: Man Panea Vaya. What is the face of God? Darashbi. This is Rashbi. So Hashem Bayechai says, "What's the face of God?" That's Hashem Bayechai. Come look at my face. You want to see You want to see God? That's that's what you look at. Statement of the Zohar. So what does that mean? It means because Hashem Bayechai brought. Because he was so egoless, because there was nothing in his life that blocked anymore, his life was more and more expression of the godly soul. So what was expressed was God, not him. They had no block. And Mashiach comes, all Jews will be that level. But at, why, why will it be at the, at, on that level? As a result of our struggles now. Now there is so much that is... So now we're called Yisrael. And then the Yid is going to be called Shmam Now, or the hug, and then to understand our weather, the Rebbe says, if this is the plan... And this is what needs to happen. That the Neshama has to ultimately be victorious and, and, and the, the, the animal soul has to be rectified and purified and, and elevated and in the space of the darkness should be light. But the question is like this. This doesn't really answer the question. We ask why does the Neshama come down? The Neshama comes down in this world to elevate the body and to elevate the animal consciousness. But the question is the animal consciousness as we learned earlier, also originates in a very high place. So why? So the, this really just pushes the question back. 
Why does God bring down the animal soul, cause the animal soul to fall down to a very lowly level? And then you have to send it after Shalik is down in order to rectify it. If we would say that this would be the original state, that Hashem was, you know, taking a walk one day and he found a mess and he decided to clean it up, that would be one thing. But since God himself created the mess, since God himself created, brought the animal soul and, and, and made it so animalistic and so, so distant from Hashem, and, that, and in the original state levels, the animal soul was a holy being, very close to Hashem's life. So why did Hashem, you know, God should never have sent down the animal soul and then have to chase, have the godly soul chase after it, What's the point of doing that? And you wouldn't do that, it would save us a lot of trouble. Now, the Hav didn't understand that's the question. Now, the Hav didn't understand the ultimate point of this descent of two souls. The Mocham comes for their long battle. The in this world, because ultimately we really know both souls take a, take, take, take. In this war, both the souls take a serious beating. Nefeshul kiss gets really beaten up in this world, the godly soul. Because after all, many times we 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 we, we, you know, we have many bad days, many moments when when the godly when the animal soul gets the superior hair, when the animal soul gets the superior hair, and then the nefesh of goes through all this misery of it not being able to do what it wants. So it's like on both on both sides there is so much frustration. So what's the point? Since even the animal soul before it descended through all those concealments and contractions, it's in Tumim Rabbim and all these many contractions, in its source it was nullified to the light of God. So why did it descend so much? That through this we have to bring down also the godly soul. To raise it, to refine it, and to lift it up. So in order to understand all of this, we first need to preface all this in Minam Muhammad. We have to understand what's the war all about and when does the war really take place. There's mana and its main time. When does the war reach its 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 uh, what? Yeah, its its climax of its its intensity. When does the war actually flare up? There's mana and the time. We could say the war is constant. You know, we're constantly you know fighting with our engaging our animal and our, our, our ego uh, the ego is constantly uh, okay that's one way of you know one part of the fight and so forth but the other says the main part of the battle where the, where the, where the, where the, where the animal soul tries to go head on against the against I'm sorry where the godly soul tries to go head on against in a head on clash with the animal soul and to tries to overthrow it and to change it and transform it the other says it's mainly during Gavin so the Zohar says, Shata the Krava, the time of the war, who Shata the twice is the time of Davin. That's the time of war. And there's another Zohar, a statement in the Zohar. The Zohar talks about the great snake, the great serpent. There is this great serpent, which is the power of Sutra Achar, the power of Klippa, the power of unholiness. That is on the big, it says it resides on the huge mountains. Because Klippa has a very strong hold and a very strong grip in this world. It has a very powerful, very, very, very powerful Klippa. And now, so there is that great snake. And the Zohar goes on to say that the snake is what killed the other Marisha. 
because it's the Nachash HaKadmoni, which originally had brought Adam Arishan to sin, and brought death upon the world. And therefore the Zohar says there is an announcement, there's a cruise, there is a heavenly announcement that announces every day. Who is going to be the one who's going to slay this dragon? Who is going to slay the snake, kill the snake? And the one that's going to kill the snake is going to be given the princess. The daughter of the king is going to be given to the one who's going to kill the snake. Man the katal lechavia, yahavale, we give him brach to the mouth, we'll get the daughter of the king. And, the Gemara, and then the Zohar says, watch the daughter of the king, that's the way for that prayer. Seems like that's the reward. The prayer is the reward. But as soon as things interpreted, that the war, the killing of the snake, takes place during davening. And I guess the reward is something that we experience through davening, a higher, higher level of godliness we'll see soon. Well, be the Indian in the explanation of the matter. So what does this mean? That davening is the time. Simply, the Rebbe's don't explain it sort of like this. See, our lives are dominated by our animal, by our animal awareness, by our animalistic. Naturally, naturally, if we don't invest, if we don't put in work, if we don't try hard to break through the shell of our animal soul, of our ego, our natural uh, awareness is, an, is, is the unholy awareness of, of our of our natural mind, because that's what's on the most on the most um, external, on the outer surface of our consciousness, of ourselves, is our animal soul. And therefore, without a lot of, without toil and without effort, that's what we will feel naturally. We will wake up in the morning, experiencing ourselves as creatures that are separate from God, and therefore, you know, without a divine purpose, and if we don't work to change that, that's the way our day will follow. The day will follow, following what? The desires and the and the and the and the and the and the, 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 the desires of our heart. That's it. That's what we will go after naturally, because that's what we feel. We don't sense the reality of God, because we're living in a world of concealment, and our physical world, Hashem has hidden Himself to such a degree that we don't see Him at all. So the world lies. Everything around us denies its 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 the truth of Hashem, and therefore it's very easy and naturally to get carried away by this deception. And we can go ahead living our lives completely alienated from purpose and mission. So what does man have to do in the beginning of the day? The first <coughs> thing man has to do is discover their neshama and bring out the, 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 uh, the, the awareness of the soul to bring that to the forefront. To bring back, to bring that, to unravel one's soul. In other words, we could say sort of like this. One has to amplify and magnify the Nishana, their godly soul, their godly consciousness. And that comes during prayer. Because during davening is a time when you, when you focus in and try to bring to, into your mind and into your heart the outlook, the whole perception of that, of the higher consciousness of man, which is, which sees Hashem and so forth. And by doing that, that hopefully is going to leave an impact on the whole day. Even when you close your siddur and you enter into the world of deception, of concealment, you will still remember that which you experienced, the truth that you experienced during the prayer, as you don't explain, that there's really none other but Hashem, and therefore all of your, all of your energy should be focused on one thing, in the service of Hashem, service of God. Hopefully you remember that during the day, so that that, that remains man's drive during the day. And tomorrow, but you have to do it over again. Because again, you wake up, naturally from your sleep, with just your natural self. And again, you have to 
bring out your neshama, bring out your soul. So let's read it inside. The Odiyah Indian and the explanation of the matter is as follows. Now, the Rebbe is going to explain how this, this procedure of bringing out and revealing one's neshama, and, there, and, the, and thereby what? Taking out the steam of the animal soul, knocking out the wind of the animal soul, which comes as a result of what? See, the method that Hasidus gives us to deal with the ego, to deal with the lie, is not by arguing and debating the animal soul, not by, not by getting into the, into the meshy, not by getting our hands filthy with, by saying, you know, this is an, an ugly impulse, this is, this is not nice, this isn't good, I shouldn't be looking for this, this is going to contaminate me, and this is uh, whatever. Not doing that. It, it comes by raising our awareness, by, 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 by bringing ourselves to a deeper sense of reality. And when one comes to a deeper sense of reality, automatically, without any, without, automatically, effortlessly, I can call it effortlessly, because it's a lot of effort to do what? To bring yourself to this higher awareness. And to make this higher awareness become uh, ingrained in our psyche. That remains with us. But once man accomplishes that, one doesn't have to struggle anymore with the impulse. Because the impulse falls away automatically. Because what? If there's, none, if there's nothing other than Hashem, so what is there to desire? There's no other reality but God. The only reality, the only truth is Him. So what am I, what am I, it becomes, it evaporates. It evaporates automatically. So this procedure, the Rebbe says, goes through certain phases. And it's thundering davening, but in the davening itself, the davening is structured in a way to take the person through this procedure. And that's if we tap into the soul of God. If you just come in and just roll the pages in a certain moment where it doesn't really have that effect. But if one gets into, allows his mind and heart to really delve into the words and to appreciate what the words are saying. So this takes a human being on a journey to higher, to a higher level of, of awareness. Let's read. Who, um, appear the Indian in the matter. So, oh, so what, what do we have in Davani? It says Davani is mainly structured into three parts. There's Psuke de Zimra, which are the, the, the um, verses of song, which we say certain psalms from Tehillim, which are the Ashrei and Havalukas and so forth. And then we have, from there we go into the second part of Davani, which is mainly the Shema, and the blessings of the Shema. And then we have the Amida, the Shemona Esrei, the 18 blessings. Right? So, the matter is, in the, in, the, in the verses of song that come before the Shema, the human being separates evil from good. That's the time when we have to gain clarity. The time when we have to do a, a, um, what? a separation, a period, a separation of the good from the bad. As it says, one of the one of the statements we say in davening is. The exalt in, in one of the Halalukas. Halalukas Shiru Hashem Shir Chadash. So there we say, the exaltation of God is in their, is in their throats. The Cheraz Tesiya is the other. And a double edged sword is in their hands. So what is the meaning of this verse? The exaltation of God is in one's mouth, and a double edged sword. What does a sword have over here? What do we, we understand? The whole point, the whole davening is to sing the praises of God, to exalt God. But what's the sword? The Rebbe explains it's to kill the klipa, to eradicate the klipa. 
And how do we eradicate the Khalifa? Not by, by directly fighting with the Khalifa, it comes by exalting God. Through the procedure of through focusing our attentions on the, our attention on the exaltation of God, inevitably that, that gives us the sword that inevitably cuts away the, the, the evil and the negative in the animal soul. Why? So the sages say on the word cherev kefiyos, cherev kefiyos means a sword with a mouth, the, the edge of the sword. But it says pithiyos seems to be two, two edges. Stay pithiyos, two edges. To raise the good, what are the two edges of the sword? Because it has a, it has a dual, a dual um, effect. And the one thing is, it, it, the point over here is during davening, do you want to salvage? Not that we want to kill the animal soul. Because as we learned earlier, the point of, the, of, of, of life is not to destroy the darkness, it's to transform the darkness. Which means to take out what's good, the potential good that's there, and pick that up. That's one edge of the sword. To raise the good. The second one is to cut away that which is, that which is bad. To raise the good up, and to push away the evil. Look in the Zohar in the beginning of Shof. How does this happen? When man can't contemplate the greatness of God, so it's interesting. The, 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 the Alter Rebbe always speaks about Davinik. Many things. But here he gives a uniqueness to, to Sukkotism. He says it's not just that one focuses. Generally, one focuses on God's greatness. And we focus on God's greatness in creation. We speak about all the great creations that God created and how powerful and majestic is His, is his being that He created such an awesome world, such an awesome creation. And the more one meditates on the greatness of one, more gets one a sense of awe of the all-pervading reality of God. That's generally what we say what Sukkotism is about. But then it should say, the praise of God, the greatness of God in their, in their mouth, in their gullet or whatever. The passage doesn't say that. The verse says, the exaltation of God is in this world. Meaning to say that what man's main focus during the first part of Dominic is not just to speak about God's greatness in creation, but to exalt God to a place where one realizes that the greatness of God is not his creation. That the creation is so insignificant to God that he's totally beyond the creation. And it's precisely that type of meditation. Not when one is awed by God's greatness that God created such a great world. Because then one gets an appreciation for the creation. What we need one over here is to get an appreciation for God, not for the creation. And by that comes by realizing how Christian is infinitely greater than the creation to the point that even the creation, which of course has no reality but the from Hashem, but even that is nothing in Hashem's eyes. And it's only here. By doing that, one, one gets a sense within himself that there's nothing but Hashem. And what happens with a man? So the animal soul, which is why craving for otherness, which is constantly looking for stuff that are ungodly, loses its, it loses its, its power. Because its whole power is... See, what, what the power of the animal soul is, it's a sense of reality. Because it sees this world as a very real thing. And it sees all, the, all that the world has to offer as a reality. As, as something real and significant and important. And therefore I should pursue it. See, the animal soul, as we mentioned so many times, is not intrinsically bad. 
It's not looking to sin. It's looking to satisfy itself with something that's good. Something that it defines as good. What does it define as good? Something that it defines as real. See, to the animal soul, godliness is abstract. It's not real. So it's looking for something that's real that could enhance it. But once one realizes what the insignificance, not only of our physical world, but the insignificance of all of existence to the presence of God, and how, we're going to see, soon see, all of existence is absolutely not. There's nothing. So why do you... And once one is able to make that understood, see, it's not enough that one has some, believes it because it says so in the Kutitur. But one actually thinks about it to the point that they really understand it. And they understand it even with their animal soul. Meaning, they don't leave it way up there. They bring it down to a very real sense that they really appreciate this idea to the point that they're permeated by the idea. Then even the animal soul turns to what? To loving Hashem. So that means the good. That's what we're doing. It's separating the good from the bad. The good in the animal soul, meaning its energy that could be used for a mitzvah and so forth, is drawn into holiness, and all negativity falls away. And that's what we mean. Roim and Moiskeel, through the exaltation of God, big Roim in one's, in one's throat, meaning through our praises that we praise God in the Bissel Kedizimra, that provides the sword to cut away the evil. To cut away the forces of negativity. Automatically, as a result of one's appreciation of the... So, if man just meditates on God's greatness as God being the, the source of creation, the greatness of creation, then um, creation has some significance. So then even though the godly soul might be drawn to the source of it all, which is God, the animal says, I'll settle for creation. Because after all, what's God's greatness is they created such a beautiful creation. So the creation must be something of importance if God created it. Right? So it, so it has value and it has importance. So, you know, that's, that's something that I, that, that, that I find um, delightful and important and, and enjoyable and therefore uh, I want some more of it. So one has not transformed his, his, his drive, his unholy drive. But it's only when one realizes God's greatness totally beyond the creation. That's the Reimemois scale, the exaltation of God that brings Cheres to see as the other. Let's read it inside. Who Kishem is boim and the other man contemplates the Gedulas Hashem in God's true greatness. So, but in order to contemplate that God is beyond the creation, you first have to appreciate the greatness of God in the creation, and then realize that He really is totally transcendental. How God is the one that enlivens all of existence, all all creation. Umahaves kulam, and he brings, doesn't only enliven them. Enliven them implies that the creation has some sort of existence without God. God only adds life to it. Hashem gives chayas. So he says more than that. Not only does God give it its life, but God gives it its very beingness. Because without Hashem imbuing life and existence into the world every second, it returns back to nothingness. It has no existence at all. Umahaves kulam, and he makes them all be. The cool on the next. This is the next part. First of all, God is the source of all of creation, and He's the one who continuously makes it be. And then He takes it a step further. The cool on the tail and and all of creation is completely nullified before God. Notwithstanding how how great it is, it's still, and from God's perspective, totally nullified. The cool To what degree is it nothing? It's so nothing that in, in, in God's eyes, it's absolutely kolokshin. Absolutely as if they don't exist. 
all of creation, all worlds, including, of course, our physical world, but even the upper and higher, more broader, greater, far more spiritual worlds, which seem to be far, seem to have some significance. Even they, is literally kolachshet, are absolute nothing. As it says, Hashem To you, God is gedula. To you, God is greatness. If we say in Vayvarech David, Hashem To you, God is the greatness. Hagavura Ateferes Vanetzavuret. Now, those that 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 verse is referring to the divine attributes, the seven divine attributes from Chesed through Malchut. Hashem Hagedula is Chesed. Hagavura is Gavura. Ateferes Hanetzach Vahoy. And so we're talking about the seven. So we're saying, Hashem to you, God, is all these. What is the deeper meaning? See, all of creation, there is a creation. But now, what's the source of the creation? What's the source of all of all of all of all of all of existence? It's, it's Hashem channels life to them through the divine attributes. It's the divine kindness, chesed, and gevura. This is the energy for creation. Now we're saying. Now what? There are all worlds are only gnashing from what? From the attributes. From the Gavura, from the Zerk. Now the Gavura, the Gedula, the Gavura, Teferas, Netzach, Hoy, Yisrael, as awesome as they are, that they're the source of all of creation. Because these are the powerful emanations that God emanated from Himself, which are literally infinite in their power and their ability to create endless worlds. Nevertheless, they themselves, Lucha Hashem, they're totally nullified to you to the point that they're not entities. The very attributes, which are the very building blocks of all of creation. So if the attributes, which are the whole life force of creation, don't exist, how much more so is the creation itself a non-existence? Because the creation is only a, a result, a consequence of what? Of these attributes. But these attributes in God's presence are so nullified, so not. Because the, these attributes are only attributes to the world. Because to the world, the world doesn't see the greater, the, the greater truth of God. So the world only experiences the attributes. So to the, to the world, the attributes is a very powerful force of life that gives them existence. So it's a real significant thing. Not only is it significant, it's the source. It's all the significance. It's what, it's what enables them to exist. With, it's the source of all life. But that's only from the world's perspective. From God's perspective, he sees that these attributes are such minute, tiny little expressions of God that they really don't exist. The only reason they can exist is because Shem creates so many consuming contractions that we don't see the greater energy of God, His, His true infinite, undefined reality, and thereby we, can, we, we notice these tiny little slivers of godliness, which are these, consider these attributes. Like I mentioned so many times, like we mentioned, like, like one drop of water in the ocean doesn't really have a significance, doesn't really have a reality, because it's lost in the, greater, in the greater ocean. So if you have a tiny little, 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 what do you call it, um, a tiny little, um, no, a, 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 what are these tiny, tiny creatures? Um, what? No, the, the smallest, smallest, talking about the, bacteria is a, is a, uh, 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 what? Huh? Huh? Oh, I mean, just a, 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 a micro, uh, uh, no, but that these tiny little, um, whatever. No, ants are too big. I'm talking about these, 
organisms. A tiny organ, organ a tiny um, micro, micro, yeah, that's living inside a drop of water that resides, that lives inside of this one drop of water. So the way if the drop of water like exists, it's a whole world, it's a whole thing. Maybe it has a, it has, you know, it sees in it, you know, a whole, a whole universe. But from, from someone who sees the whole ocean, <laughs> this, this tiny little drop of water is not, it doesn't exist. Because it's just lost in the greater world, it doesn't have, a, it doesn't have an existence. So to Hashem, this is only a, an example, but to Hashem it's infinitely more non-existent. All worlds. Not yeah, yes, what's your question? Right. Good, 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 good. It's a great question, but here's the thing. From our human soul, from our created side, we can only, we, we, we look through the prism of creation. We look through the lens of creation. And we see everything from life. But because we were given a godly soul, as he's going to explain soon, he explained it earlier in the Bible, but he's going to elaborate on that too. It comes from that reality that's beyond the creation, higher than these middle, uh, 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 higher than these seven spheroth. Uh, yeah, the neshama comes from a place even beyond that. From there we have a knack deep inside us, or a, a, an awareness of that higher truth. And it happens as follows. Once a Jew starts davening, and he opens the prayer and starts thinking these things, from deep inside, he senses that reality. It's a sense. It's a sense. It's like a, it's an abstract sense of a higher reality. The mind can reach a certain point and calculate. You can study this and understand through the through through what Torah tells us that how the creation is just just one you know a drop of a drop of a drop of a drop. So the mind can also, but the mind can't really sense it. You have to have a soul sense in you that senses that reality and can really relate to it. To really relate, he's going to explain that in Shema Yisrael soon, as you're going to see. You melt, you melt into that reality. That's right. And, 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 and a sense of total oneness with Hashem. Huh? That happens, he's going to explain in, in, in Avodah. It comes through, of course, meditation, because man's man moves in his life. Man moves in his spiritual spiritual awareness through his meditation. But but it, it's not just you know the, the the mind that's working over here. There's a soul working over here, and the soul the soul only utilizes the mind to to like express itself. But at a certain point, really, the mind ends. And the soul takes over, and one experiences a sense that's beyond their intelligence, beyond their mind. Yeah. Now, the who nailamahem, who nailamahem, the babes madreges, and therefore, no, here hold it. Kemash akasan as it says, lo chashem agdula to you, God is greatest. Shakol hamidaisel yainim betelametzli is bara, that all the supernal midot are nullified to him. As it says in the Zohar, 
that was, it says a statement. In God it says, even though it describes in the Zohar the seven attributes of God, or the ten attributes, it says, the lav nikol midot ilun cloud. That God is really not, in essence, God doesn't have any of these attributes. These are only projections that He shows the world. God shows a face to the world. This is not really what defines God's true inner character, his inner being. His inner being is in, it has absolutely descriptionless. His essence, right? His essence. His inner, yeah. So, how much higher, how much superior is Hashem from these forces of, 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 of these uh, conduits or these forces, these attributes? And he is way beyond them. Revavis madregois, tens of thousands of levels. Ain mispa, without an end. The hamalachim, and who appreciates this? Meaning, the Rebbe says, interesting. It's not only that God is a little; He's above these attributes. The attributes are attributes, and God really can't be characterized by anything. He's above it. The Alter Rebbe says He's so beyond any of these attributes, infinite, infinite levels. Revavis madregois, in case without an end. So, if he's infinitely higher, it's not a little higher, level, the, 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 these attributes have absolutely, utterly, don't have any significance. The Hamalachim, Oimrim, and the angels say, who appreciates this? Angels. They appreciate it from the distance, however. They say that Kadosh, God is holy. Holy meaning, whatever we see and we understand, what we could comprehend, that's not holy. Because that means closeness, that means interaction. Holy needs means separate, above, removed. And they realize that with all their appreciation, and, 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 and angels see so much more than we can see down there, us mortal human beings can see down there. Nevertheless, they appreciate and understand that God is Kadosh. And then they say, not only is he Kadosh, but he's Kadosh, he's even more transcendent, and he's even beyond, and beyond being beyond, and we have absolutely no clue about what he is like, and therefore, right? And that's their excitement. And Kadosh, Pidosh, Mufresh, Mufdo, separate. Lamai, Lamai, Lamageder, Mamalek. God is totally beyond being considered, he himself, in his essence, totally beyond the concept of being the filler of the world. Mamale meaning the energy that comes into the world to infuse the world with life on the inside. So even though, you know, one might look at God and see him as the soul of creation, here the ultimate realization is that God is beyond the soul of creation. The soul of creation, that's... That's... Yeah, kit, that's right. That's just a little... That's, that's a tiny expression of Hashem. But He is totally beyond that. And not only is He beyond being the, what fills all of existence with, with, with life, He's even beyond being soulmate. Soulmate meaning an encompassing light, because in the Zohar it speaks about a, a higher energy that God has projected, which encompasses all worlds equally. Meaning the highest levels and the lowest levels relate to this energy equally. Because he's... It's, this, so what does that show us? If, if the highest angel and a, little, and a little butterfly relate to this type of energy in an equal manner, meaning the angel isn't any closer to it in understanding it, shows that well, this is such a superior light that equalizes all worlds, from the highest to the lowest. So we would say, well, this is probably God Himself. This is a level in God which equalizes everything. No. The mere fact that we can even speak about what? This level in, in comparison to creation, and we say that this encompasses all of creation equally, shows already that there's some relativity, and some 
there's some relationship between this level and God, and God is infinitely beyond that. So he's beyond, he's never saying that he's beyond anything that we can imagine that he is. Beyond, beyond. Beyond the male, beyond Seve, way, way above it all. To my minister, the sages tell us, in the place where you find God's greatness, over there you find God's humility. What is the meaning of this? Simply means whenever it shows, speaks about God's greatness, next to it it also says that God is humble. That means that even though God is great, He's not arrogant. He's very humble and He lowers Himself down to the simple to take care of everybody. That's a simple meaning. What the deeper meaning is, when we meditate on God's greatness, and we're awed by His greatness, and by His awesome power, and we think, wow, that's His greatness. We realize not. For God to be great in the manner that we can appreciate, that's humility. He had to lower Himself down. He had to contract. He had to condense Himself so much. He had to lo- bring Himself down to a place that we can appreciate His greatness. So what we see as greatness is not really His greatness. That's His belittling of Himself. He belittled Himself he contracted himself. It's not that God exercises power and we go, ooh-ah. The opposite. God contracted his power and only then can we go, ooh-ah. Because his true, real greatness is totally unperceptible to us. We have no way even to measure that, to understand that, and to appreciate that. But it goes even, the devil's hinting to something even deeper than that. It's not only that the greatness, because it says about God, it says that they're talking about there's greatness. God the Hashem of Mahul on the oats. God is great and is very much praised. Then they say, it would be lost and to his greatness ain't shaker, there's no research. So, we seem to be talking about two levels of greatness in God. We say, Gadol Hashem, God is great. And then we say, and to his greatness, ain't shaker, there's no research. What does that mean? Gadol Hashem, is God's greatness as it is projected in the creation. In the multitudes of worlds, and the multitudes of creations that Hashem has created, in the, it, 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 right? So that's one level of God's greatness. But we can't call that His greatness. Because that's the greatness that we see in Him. That's not really His greatness. But then there is a greatness that we can attribute that this is really God's greatness. That's called Sovet Kalam. Namale Kalam is God of Hashem. God is great. That's called Namale. God infuses the world with a life force, with an energy that sits the creation. That's God's greatness as we see it. But that's not His real greatness. Then we say, His greatness. That is God's light as it is projecting with its full infinite power, is thereby infinitely transcending the creation, bigger than the creation. And that's not, a, that's not our, what we see, because we can't comprehend that. We say, That's His greatness. No one can fathom it. No one can research it. Now we say, then we say, even the level of which we say is a greatness that is totally beyond the perception of, every cre- of any created being. We can say that this is God's greatness. Even that is already an attribute. That's not Him. Even a, a greatness that is beyond, even Gedulato, God has to humble Himself, with belittle Himself, come down infinitely to create or to project a power that is called His greatness. And then from there, there is a tremendous contraction again to create a lower level of greatness that we can see. So we have, we're speaking over here of three levels. There is Gadol Hashem, greatness of God, the greatness of creation, that's Mamalakalam, there is Gitsul's always. Then there is Gadulato, His greatness, what we call Sovet Kalama, beyond the perception of us. We can say this is His greatness. 
And then there is what we say, God's very being, that is so beyond that, that in order that there should be something called greatness, God has to be extremely humble. His greatness, over there you find his humility, where he lowers himself down to be called on that level of Sovev Kalalman, which we call his energy encompassing all worlds, already relating it to worlds. Showing that's a belittling. So now, being that from Hashem's perspective himself, utterly transcendent, so all of existence is absolutely not. What, what reality does the world have? Now, um, some of the Sha'afal Pishri, the Lassa in Heker, even though his greatness has, are unfathomable, in calls that nevertheless, Uramu Misnafsa. He's exalted and raises Mibchina Gidulasai. He's exalted beyond the level of Gidulato. Achamidas Gidula Nakshavanava Vishiflas Bafana. Until the point, the, 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 this attribute of greatness is considered by God a humility and a lowliness. God is acting in a very ungodly manner to be great. Even on the level of godly greatness. Now when a person thinks extremely deeply, in this contemplation, and things alike, doesn't have to be exactly this, but other aspects that emphasize the exaltation of God, Memela automatically is oven. All doers of evil are going to be separated from him. The evil in one's soul is going to fall down automatically, without, without effortlessly. It's just going to fall off. Why? Because, again, when one realizes and gets a true sense of reality, then the whole soul of evil is, is, is eradicated. Because the soul of the evil, the power behind the evil is what? The power beyond all this negative energy is the sense of reality that the perception that the Nefesh of Bahamas gives that there is other things that I've mentioned before that are real. But when one realizes the true, true reality, absolute reality, so nothing else is real in, in the face of God. So there's nothing else to be attracted to. The only attraction man has is the God. But this is such a beautiful way to elevate yourself. You elevate your awareness. So instead of dealing with the mess of getting yourself filthy and looking at everything, one can, it's a, it's a Hasidic approach, a positive approach. Focus. Put your head and your mind. And this is the difference. One of the differences between Hasidus and Musr is that Musr deals with every negative trait and tries to portray the ugliness of it. You like that. Look how ugly it is. For example, one of the things Musr will say, talking about even like old time Musr, it, it, it speaks about, let's say, you, 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 you're, 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 you know, you're, 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 you're indulged in materialism. See what's going to happen to your body after 120. You're going to decay, and worms are going to come and eat from you, and so on and so forth. And when you think about that, one person realizes what's, 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 the, what's, what's the point of it. And, and so on and so forth. Every, every aspect. And look how the ugliness of an arrogant person. Hasidus says, don't go there. Why waste your time meditating and thinking about ugliness and negative things? Instead, focus on holiness. Focus on godliness. Raise your awareness to, uh, to what's real, what's true on a higher level. When you're going to do that automatically, it's going it's it's to elevate you. You're going to be an elevated person. And these things are going to... Mamela, as he says. Offhand, offhand they're going to fall away. The Zahu, yeah. This is the simple 
the simple thing that he's saying. However, he's going to... The, the Rebbe now hints to something much deeper than what we just said. The Yiyais, let's read a few more lines. The Yiyais. Ki ha This idea of Romamot Kel Degroinam. That the exaltation of God in their throats by praising God and davening automatically you knock off the evil in one's soul doesn't only take place according to the Alter Rebbe in one's own psyche in one's own personal in one's own personal life but really this is also something that a, a human being while he davens affects on a cosmic scale things like this see the Nefesh Shabbat the, 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 the godly soul and the animal soul and the human being don't exist in isolation they're part of a much greater force the godly soul is part of a much greater godliness, which is a little agent of God in this world. The animal soul is, is representative of what? Of forces of darkness of people. In the original source, it's beyond that, but at least the way it's, it takes on a form as it comes down, it's an agent, it's a manifestation of Kalipa in, this, in, in, in the human being, but it's, it's a manifestation of the general Kalipa. The general Kalipa meaning the shells that conceal and hide and extraneous forces that conceal God. So, in order to sublimate and to break the forces of darkness, the forces that Nefesh Bahamas, and to, to uh, cut away the evil in man, man doesn't only do that by battling his own demons and his own heart, but man has to affect the source of his Nefesh Bahamas. The man has to f- affect the general source of Kalipa in, as it manifests itself in all worlds. So how do you do that? It never says like this. Does, how can evil exist in the first place? How does, how does the Ra and, and unholiness exist? After all, all existence comes from God. God is the, is the one who, who gives life to all. So how does people exist if everything comes from Hashem? So we know that it works sort of like this. Through the process of Ishtal Shalut, through the process of divine, the, the, the divine light going through so many levels of concealment and screening and screening, so as it goes lower and lower and lower, it begins to give life to the lowliest creatures which deny God, which call the people. So they receive, generally, just is not, not, not the point of the discussion, they receive from the bottom, 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 bottom of the system of the divine, of God's light, filtering through the creation to the lowest place. So they're, 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 they're so what, what, what they're doing, the force, the whole original power of Klippa is to um, hijack the energy, but to steal the energy from, from Kedusha, when it reaches its lowest levels, over there they can, they can um, what's it called, pervert it, and take it for their... But, man is only when, when God is in a state of lowering himself down. When God lowers himself down to the creation, thereby giving life to what? To lowly, to lowly worlds, and giving life and when you say lowly world, it, only, it doesn't mean the... It means all worlds, including what? A system of allowing the light to what? To translate, the energy to translate into, into the klipot, into the negative force. However, when man focuses on God being exalted above, you know what that causes? That causes God within himself to rise up. It causes an exaltation by God. God, here God is open to the creation, because the creation has a significance and a reality. Here God exalts, elevates himself from the creation, because that's what man's contemplation was. How God is 
totally beyond to the point where creation has no existence whatsoever. So Hashem sort of, it's not a withdrawal, but God returns to a sense back into Himself. Now, the holy realms of existence that acknowledge God and, it can, and surrender to this truth, they're, in, they're, they're brought up to this place. When they're brought up to this place, they receive a far higher energy. But the lower forces of existence that don't submit and surrender to this truth don't have any more, being that all a, a channel from where to get. Because the, the, the channel is only when, when Hashem is sort of, to say, on low mode, or on, I don't know the right word is, um, when Hashem is not, in, 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 a, in a, when God is not, in, we can say, in that state of feeling His greatness and His exaltation. He's belittled. When Hashem is in a state of belittlement, so then it can trickle down to the people. But when Hashem is in the state of, of as we said, we said this also in another mind, with an Kuma Hashem, when God gets up to a higher state of being, the enemies are dispersed, because they lose their whole source of Chayish. The whole source of Chayish comes from the, the belittling, from the, low, from the Hanava, from the humility of God. But when man comes and praises Hashem and exalts God, that causes a whole state of Rishtalshulus, meaning the upper levels of to rise, to God to rise, and, and, and Kalipa has no source. So therefore it falls away. So there's a weakening in the whole source of Kalipa. Then that trickles down to man's own animal soul, that one's own, one's own animal soul becomes weaker, loses its strength, because the whole realm, its whole source has been weakened. It's less energy. It becomes lethargic. Literally, the animal soul that day is a little sleepy and crowded. It doesn't have the potency and the energy because man has robbed it from its, from its, from its source. So generally, it's harder to... Uh, but the thing is like this. When the, an, uh, what is it? When the animal soul is in its full... When the animal soul is in its full passion, full intensity, in, 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 in it's, it's, you can't wrestle it free. The energy. The animal soul first needs to be calmed down and then you can take out what's good in it. Right? You can't take a child in the midst of his anger, in the midst of his rebellion, in the midst of his thing and channel it to something good. You first have to calm that down and then you can take what's positive and what's good and turn it and redirect it. So the first thing is that the weakening of it. Right? And over here, so this, 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 this takes place, let's read it inside. Because evil on the other side, they don't have any chayus, they don't have any energy on their own. Zulas, they receive their sustenance in their life. Macharayim the Kedusha, from the hind side of holiness, meaning from the leftovers, as it trickles down all the way, all the way down. Particularly through the sins that people do, through the 365 negative prohibitions. If God forbid a person violates it, he gives energy to the people. And therefore, that's why they're nullified to holiness, like the nullification of darkness to light. And when light, and when the forces of light are exalted and pick themselves up, and then, then, then these, and Klippa doesn't have it, that's how it's explained in the other Maimarim. Uh, the Mithra that explains this, the Altavim means that as a result of this withdrawal and pull up, that, 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 that cuts off the source. However, the problem is like this. This only cuts, shuts, this, this whole process, what it accomplishes above and also down here below, is, is that it shuts down the pipeline that Kalipa cannot anymore sabotage the energy and take it for its 
for its uh, uh, personal use because you've sort of closed the 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 uh, the uh, what? Yeah, just sh- shut it down. However, Kleepa still has some form of energy that it has taken from before. Even though it doesn't have new, it doesn't have a new vitality coming to them. You've minimized it at least and diminished it, but there might still be some of it that it still has, which has been given to it originally. And that's why the other says, Not enough just to separate the good from the evil. That the evil cannot get, can't access anymore its, its, its source of energy. And you've separated it. After now destroy it completely. It's like, sort of like this. When you go to war, you have to first, the first thing you have to do is you have to cut off the supply line from, from the enemy. Well, that's not good enough. Because there's still whatever supplies they have already, whatever ammunition they have. But if you're not going to cut off the supply line, so even if you're going to be fighting them, they'll keep on sending more, more, more so, they'll keep on re-strengthening re, re it. So the first thing you've got to cut off there, so now they can't get to their, to their source, either their ammunition, their soldiers, whatever. The people, the military can't be coming in because they can't get. Once you've you know, isolated them, now the next thing is to wipe out whatever remnants are still left over. So the Rebbe says the same is also in our soul. Both on the cosmic scale and on the personal scale. The personal scale, as we said before, when a person gets a higher sense of reality, there is, there is less energy in, in all kinds of other pursuits because one has appreciated the reality of, of the, the, the truth of Hashem. So how powerful can be one's desire for the unholy. But there are certain things that you've still gotten yourself very strongly accustomed to, you've gotten very used to. And... No, but I was just saying that the Yetzirah, the, 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 the Nefshah Bahamas, that everyone wants to distinguish now between a general weakening and an actual total eradication. So we're saying this, uh, this process of Pesuka de Zimra doesn't destroy the evil, it only separates the good. Which I think it means on a personal level, I think it means it creates within man a higher sense of reality, thereby weakening one's general, what? One's general pursuits of, of worldliness. But, that means that there isn't going to be a new chayas and a new pursuit, a new um, uh, draw towards unholy things. But we have certain things that were still so deeply ingrained in already, that are still, that exist already, they're realities in our lives, and, we're still, and they've made it a deep imprint in us, that these things are something that we have to pursue, these are things that we have to pay attention to, these are things that we have to access and have, right? So these things, now one has to take a deeper beer. Now one has to enter into it and literally eradicate every possible form of kalipa in one's life. That is what happens next, after Pesukah Zimra, that is the next stage, which is what? Shema, as he explains. Let's see this one. It's not enough just to separate the evil alone. One has to completely destroy it. As it says, When it speaks about entering into the seven nations, it says you go in there and completely destroy them. And to transform darkness to light. And this happens through the, the recital of the Shema. Why? As it says, speaks about Pinchas, that Pinchas stood up and, uh, and, and fought 
and, 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 and destroyed those who, those who were, the, 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 those that were, he killed, he, 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 he did the vengeance for Hashem's name. And he killed Zimri, the, 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 the Nasi, the prince of Sheva Shimon. He went ahead and he took a Moabite woman. Midianite woman. Right? The Midianite princess, Kazbi Basur. So when he went, it says, Vayikah, he got up and he took Roimach Biyadai, he took a spear in his hand and he killed him. What do you see from there? That the way you eradicate evil is with a spear. But there's a spiritual spear. What's this Roimach? So the author never takes a look at the word Romach. Roimach means a spear. Ramach is 248. So we would think it's the 248 mitzvahs. But the Rebbe says, no, it's not the 248 mitzvahs. So the word Raimach is put together from, it has like this. It has the words Reish Memches, which means 248. But also, we say, not Remach, it's Romach. So Romach also has a Vav. So it's 248 plus 6. What are the 248 plus 6? 248 plus 6 is 5. The 6 is the 6 letters of the Shema. Of the first verse of the Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad. That's the six. Two forty-eight is the entire Shema. If you count Shema from the word Shema, and you go to the end and you repeat Hashem Elokechem Emes, that's why we repeat it again, so that we have two hundred and forty-eight words, and that counts. So, so you have the broader Shema, which is two hundred and forty-eight, plus the six, which is the real power of the Shema. Which is the Shema Yisrael Hashem Lakeshev, which is really included in the 248, but, but, but stands on its own right. So that's the Romach. So that's the power to totally, the power of the Shema is the power to totally eradicate evil. And so here the Rebbe is going to explain how the Shema prayer is really the, 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 the deepest energy of the Jew. And this is really getting, squeezing out, or bringing to the floor the very inner, inner truth of the soul. It's Proclaimed by the Shema. Zehu al Yedei Kriya Shema. Moshe Kosser that says, Ayikach Reimach Piyadr. Which is Shistav in the Yechudish of the Pasuk Shema Yisrael. The six letters of the Yechud of the Pasuk Shema Yisrael. In Klolish Reimach Tev in the Kriya Shema. Together with the general 248 words of the Shema. Hem Nikroim Romach. They are called Reimach. The spear. The Ayin B'Seif from Oira Oir Ois Reish Sinatezva. There he explains this. Ha'ainu. Just like through a spear. When the tilaf chayus adam legamri, that is enables one to take one, uh, to take a person's life completely. To this, to, uh, this can bring about the utter destruction of of of, of a human being. Right? To kill someone. Kachal they kriya shema. The Rebbe says, filter to the shema. Mevatlin emachlinim harra mikol v'kol. The evil man. Which is the evil, the, the, the power of creeping and that the, the negativity of the animal soul is completely eradicated. Well, Birad other explanation of the matter is as follows. We need to understand the significance, the deeper meaning of the verse. Here, O Israel, Hashem is our God. God is what? We even though we learn multitudes of memorim of this means, every mind of the outset is a whole new understanding of what this verse means. Finish. What does this mean? We say God's name. We mention God's name three times here: Hashem, Elokeinu, and then again Hashem. Twice the name Havaya, Yudke Vavke. One time we use Elokeinu. So he explains like this: First, there is Hashem Echad. Pidush. Ach Hashem Nizu Oylemim. After the worlds were created, 
Shayich loy merloshenachot. Then it fits. It's right. It's correct to say the word echot. Because what does echot mean? Echot means oneness. Shepirushai, the meaning of the word echot is Aleph has valid. As we know the Kavanah B'Shanayim, when a person is supposed to have is. Echot means God is one. But it only doesn't mean that God is one. That God is a singular entity. It's not a com- composite. It's not what the, the meaning of Echad, the Gemara says we have to have in mind, that God is one with creation. God is one with all with the universe. So we have in mind when we say Echad, that the Aleph, which represents Hashem, the Aleph of the world, the power of the world, the chief of the world, is what? He is the truth of the Ches. He is the energy of the Ches. Ches represents the seven heavens and the earth. That's the whole... Uh, the, the whole, uh, representing the whole realm of, of creation, higher and lower. And then, Dalit, the four sides, the four directions. Dalit, Ruches, So we say that the Aleph is the power of the Ches and the Dalit. So what does Hashem Achad mean? Without Hashem Achad, Hashem Achad already is an incredible statement. Even if we don't say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokei. Just those words, Hashem Achad, is an incredible statement. It's something that is beyond what most people perceive. Generally, the world is what seems to be what an entity onto its own. An entity that exists in independent reality to the point that what? That it's a whole debate if we can introduce into school such a concept of intellectual design or what? So we have to hold on to, for, dear, for dear life to this, to this uh, myth and, 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 and totally um, 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 bankrupt um, a philosophy of evolution that people are still holding, trying to hold on to very desperately and fighting off this, this, this awareness that is just spreading like wildfire all over that wow, that there must be what's called intellectual, I mean, uh, another word for God is intellectual design. So, to see things, but, so the world tries to what? See itself as something apart, separate, existing on its own. So a Jew comes, and a Jew says, Hashem Echad, God is one. Meaning, don't see the externality of things. Don't look at things the way it is. Realize that there is, there is energy in the world. That the world couldn't just exist on its own. And that energy is God. So what is the real power beyond the Ches? What is the real force? What is the true reality of the Ches? Of the creation? Not the creation, because the creation on its own can't exist even for one split second. So if the creation exists, what is the real force beyond beyond the heaven and the earth, God. And what is the force between in all four directions of the world? It's God. It's Echad. So Hashem Echad is already, is already recognizing God as the force in creation. However, the Alter Rebbe says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad is telling Hashem Echad is something that, the, that angels also perceive. That's something that I believe in our world it's not, it's true. Hashem Echad is not pronounced in a very clear manner in our world. Quite in the, quite in the country. Our world conceals and hides Hashem Echad. But at least in the upper spheres and the higher realms of existence, over there they acknowledge, and over there they sense that the truth of their own existence is God, and that's why they're completely sub, sub, um, submissive, to, completely um, surrendered to Hashem's will. That's up there in the higher realms of existence. However, we say, Shema Yisrael, you Jew, you hear something else. You have to understand something much deeper than that. That Hagaya Echad is what is God as He is one in creation. 
But the godliness, meaning God, that doesn't capture God's essence. Because we can only say, what? On the level where, after the Tzimtzumim, after all the contractions, where Hashem hid His true self, and He allows for those that we learned earlier, those seven emotions, attributes, to come out and create a creation. So we look at, now we look at the creation and we realize that the, the truth of the creation is God. But if we're exposed to a deeper truth of God, the reality of God as God exists beyond the attributes, as God is in His true self of self, as Hashem is beyond those descriptive forms of Him, but as He really is, over there, over there, there is no creation at all. There's nothing. Over there you can't say there is a creation. The creation is nullified. Over there there's none but Him. Because the whole energy of creation is like what? As we spoke earlier. Totally and, and utterly lost in God's greater light. To the point that it's a non-entity. And all of creation is an absolute non-event. Never even happened over there. Because it doesn't exist. Because it's so lost in Hashem's life. So that is not that's beyond Echad. Echad means there is a world and the world is united with God. He is one. This is, like a, there is originally only Him. There cannot be anything but Him. There's no world even to say that the world is surrendered to Him. And we say that why? That, that that truth, that level of God, now the angels don't know this. They know it, but they don't, meaning they have no sense of God's, God's truth as He is beyond the creation. So what they appreciate is Hashem Echad. On this level, they say, Kadosh, Kadosh, He's totally beyond, but we don't comprehend it. Because they have no sense of that. Because they're part of the creation. One second. The angels are part of the creation, so they can only see through the creation, but they can see, but then the creation doesn't block, so they can see the divine force in creation, and see how creation is completely unified with, with Hashem. But that's all they can see. However, to a Jew, since he has a godly soul, and a Shammah, and the Neshama is in direct contact with Hashem as He is before the creation at all. And therefore the Jew has a sense, Havaya Elokeinu. Elokeinu, our God is Havaya, is God Himself. Not the Havaya of Echad, a much higher Havaya. It's the Yudke Vavke, meaning Hashem's real reality. As God knows Himself, the soul knows God as, as God knows Himself. When that same truth as God knows Himself, the Neshama knows. Yeah. Knows Hashem's essence, what Hashem really is. That which the angels say kadosh, and they say it's beyond the mystery to them. For the Jew, that's a reality. That's what the neshama sense. So we say Shema Yisrael, you Jew here, Havaya Elokeinu. He's our God, meaning He is something that is He lives in us. That level of Him is part is 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 real to our souls. Our souls appreciate, sense, can feel that Havaya. And then our job is, what is our job? Havaya Echad. To bring that truth into the world through living a Jewish life in this world. Through practicing Yiddishkeit in this world. Through Torah and Mitzvahs. Which, when a Jew is doing it, why is a Jew really doing it? Why is it? The, put it this way. Mitzvahs, Torah and Mitzvahs are really acts of surrender. Constantly taking, and we spoke about so much, the world that so, seems to be so apart and making it surrender to God. But why does a Jew have that, that power of Gittel? According to the Alter Rebbe, what's Jewish in us is that power of Gittel. The power to nullify, the power to accept 
the truth that ain't no no vada, there's none but God. Now, why, and living a Jewish life means, we constantly have, to live a Jewish life means to constantly submit to that truth. Submit to that truth in our, the way we eat, to submit to that truth in the way we live our family lives, to submit to that truth in the way we, the way, everything we do. It's, it's all in a constant state of, of submission. Where is the bitter? These little, little pieces of bitter. Our life is full of little pieces of nullification. A moment of surrender here, a moment of surrender there. Here I give my money away because God told me to. Here I give my... It's a constant state of total bitter one after another. Where is it all emanating? It's really coming from the inner, innermost of inner shaman. Because deep, deep inside, the Jew senses the truth that what? That God is the only reality. And he, is, and he senses it to such a degree, he, not only that God is the truth of the creation, but he, the Jew feels in a very powerful way the truth that there is, a, there is no creation at all. That, that there is only Hashem. And out of that deep sense of the neshama, it comes out. And we're not always aware of it. But that's really super consciously what's driving us in our constant on a conscious level to say, all right, you know what, I'm going to go to Mincha now, even though I don't want it. Even though we're not aware that that's really what's coming from. But it's at the, at the very, what's, it's really stemming from our inherent Jewishness, from our inner soul that senses the reality of a sense of the exclusion of everything. And that's what it means. We say, Shema Yisrael, you Jew, here. Hashem Elokeinu, that God is our God, and that's something that only I as a Jew can hear and sense. And now the point is, Hashem Echad, to bring that truth into the world, by what? Through my performance of Torah Mitzvah, we project that truth. That is absolutely none but Him. And then that eventually becomes true in the world too, or becomes experienced in the world. That higher Yichud, the divinity that's beyond the divinity of creation. You know what I'm saying? A godliness that's really beyond the creation, where from that level creation is a non-entity. That becomes something that is felt in the creation through the Jewish soul channeling that truth to the world. And that's Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein. And that's why this is the motto of the Jew. This is the, the, the our, our, what we say, our national anthem. This is our um, statement, mission statement. The mission statement of the Jew is Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echad. To channel this Echad or this Hashem Lekein into, into creation and into the world. This is just, I'm just going to read it inside and then I'll take the question. After going down to the bottom, we can say achot. Shepirusha, the meaning is alif ches palif. Shu achot, God is one. Beches in the seven, in the eight. Zayin rikiim in the seven skies, the earth and the earth. The dalid ruchais oylam in the four sides of the world, four directions. The same is also true. Now again, when we say achot. The Rebbe says we, it, it means on all levels. It means God is one with the physical birth. And when we say eight, we mean eight little, I don't know why exactly it means the eight heavens, but on a physical on a level, seven heavens on the earth. But it also reflects the higher realms of, when we say seven, we mean the seven emotions of God, which are the source of the seven heavens, right? And the four, the four directions on the more spiritual level are the four sides of God's chariots. The four machmas, right? the Dalad, uh, the, the five, the four beasts on the four sides, which Yeskil saw, Yecheskel saw, the Pnei Ari, which these are all, these are all creations 
is the original forms of creation, the higher forms of creation. But already, we're dealing already with stuff, with beings that aren't, that aren't, that already have, a, have some form of what? Of existence. So we're saying that what? That Hashem is Achad. Hashem is the life force both of the physical reality down here. And also when we say Zion, He is the real force beyond the seven emotions. That's, that's the whole thing of, of a Jew is to look at everything deeper than what? Not to see these seven emotions as the seven emotions are part of God. But to realize that it's really the Hashem that flows through these emotions. That our God is the force beyond them. With the Muspaneam, the Iyum, the Yachid Laim, and God unifies them. Shakulam, Betelam, Elohim, Barach. They're all nullified to God. But this is all the perception of what? The highest, the highest type of surrender that creation can realize. This is the highest type of nullification of the truth that the creation feels. It's almost like, put it this way when God created the world, He created a big black hole. And he threw all the creations in that black hole. And they can't see beyond that black hole. The only one who can see beyond that does is the Jewish soul because the Jewish soul comes from a place beyond that black hole. And it, was, and it was inserted into the black hole, but it really comes from the place beyond that black hole. And therefore, it knows of a reality that nothing else knows of, that no other creature knows. And that's what he explained. But in, in, in comparison to the very essence of God, before the world was created, we can't even speak about Echad one, just like before God created the world, and was only God. Can we say about one? No. So the Rebbe says, even after God created, on the level of his, of his being, of his essence, over there, he's not within the, con- within the context of worlds. Explained in Sefer Yitzira, before one, why do you count? Meaning over there we can't, it's not within the whole level of being counted. is way beyond Revavis, having multitudes of levels, endlessly, from that which can be counted. This is what we mean the first Havar. And we say, Hashem Elokein Nu. This power, this element can only be sensed in us. Because only the Jewish soul is receptive of this. He's our God. He's our king, our God. Even angels, they can't comprehend. They say this is beyond them. They know it, it's there. They know there's reality beyond their perception. But they say it's beyond them. It's, it's holy. And they ask, Where is the place of His glory? They realize that that Makom Kavoda, the place of God's glory, is beyond what they can appreciate. Zulafs, there's one exception, besides Mishmas Yisrael, the Jewish soul. Shenim Shuchum Misham. It is drawn from there. It comes from that place. Kemoshem of El, as explained above, Beli Hester the Helen Cloud. It comes from that place without any concealment. As we said earlier, Chele Kavaya. It is literally a part of God's above. And this is what the sages have hinted to. When, when it says when God gave the Torah and the Jews said Nasa we will do and we will hear meaning they expressed an utter nullification to God how can you say Nasa so it says well, what does it say over there God said to the Jewish people God was wondering he was excited he said who revealed to my children the secret the secret that the angels use this 
So what does it mean? The secret that the angels use. That explains it's not just some simply the way everybody understands it is that angels they're the ones who say Nasa initially. They're the ones who surrender and say, We will do what we will here. But and therefore God is wondering how can it possible that mortal human beings can can reach that level of what angels have. It's something that is only so according to that, it's not a secret to the angels. It's a secret to hum- humanity. It is human mortals cannot it was it's something it was on such a high level that it was that has always been beyond the reaches of human of human beings. But to the angels, this is their truth. However, no, the the ones know. Raz said this is a secret, the angels don't have it. We're dealing with what? This truth that even is hidden from the angels. That what? Even beyond Hashem Echad. Because Hashem Echad is only what? The perception from within creation that God is a force in creation. But here we're dealing with Lifnei Echad. That's something that's hidden from the angels. That the angels say, I am a Kankavoyed. Where is His glory? Who are the only ones who know this place that the angels are mystified by? The only ones who know this is the Jewish soul. So it says, Who has revealed to the, my children this, this secret? Of what? Of Hashem Elokeinu. Where was it expressed? When Jews said, Nasa the Because as I said before, even though most of us don't feel this on a conscious level, we don't feel this, 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 this sense of total nullification to the point that nothing else exists beyond God. And we can't even speak about something that's nullified to Him because there's absolutely nothing. We're very much a something. And we very much have our, all of our stuff in our life that are very real. But nevertheless, the Rebbe says, it is expressed in your life because the deeper workings of what's causing us to constantly be willing to do Hashem's will over our own will is because deep, deep, deep hidden in our super, super conscious in the sub sub sellers of our being we have a, a, an awareness of, of this. So even though, and this sends off, this sends off some tremor of bitl, some what we call some vibrations of bitl that we feel even in our outer self. We don't know why why we can't, why we can't sometimes um, resist doing the mixture. We just have to do it. And then we really don't want it. But why we, because there's just something in us that pushes us to surrender. To constantly do, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes the Nebuchadnezzar Bahamas is blocking too much. That's that God and soul, but this and that's why, when did Hashem say, when they said, Nasa Vinishma. Now, we will do what we will here. What do you mean we'll do that? That means you're willing to give up everything. How are you willing to give up everything? Maybe I'm going to ask you to jump into the lake. Uh, how, how do you know what I'm going to ask you? Which means I'm willing to do that too. How can you be willing to give up everything? It's because the Jew senses that there is nothing but God. So whatever God wants, that's it. There isn't even a... something to, something to compare, something to, to, um, to weigh. There no, can never be anything truer. This is, this is the truth, yeah. Because that reality is the same reality that was there. That was here. That's here, prior. But it got covered up with all the concealments. And the world comes back. When Mashiach comes, the world comes back to, to where 
it was pre-creation, but with the creation, without, well, right? Go back yeah. Okay. Which is really even be yeah, but even before that, that's right. It goes back. It will come back to the pre-tintum, to post to pre-tintum, to how things were before tintum. The only difference is that before tintum, there was nothing really there at all in the first place to like conflict with God. So of course it was obvious. Now God created all these worlds and all these concealments, and within all these concealments, the soul will bring back or polish. The concealments that they lose their opaqueness and their and that this and that they we can see through them all and see that really there there is no cre- there is only Hashem and Hashem is love and we're totally one with them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, yeah. The, the, the Rizal says that had other Marisha Natsin in the Eitzadas that all of his descendants would be Jewish. But then when he ate from the Yetz Adas, so there was a certain uh, impurity, and then the soul, this divine consciousness, did not go over to all of the descendants, and it waited for Adam Avinu, and that's when it was uh, re- reintroduced into the human experience. It spreads beyond our choice. It spreads just by Jewish mother giving birth to it. Yeah, because, because as we said before, Hashem Elokeinu ultimately is supposed to become Hashem Echad. But this, com- this came from, 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 from us purifying the world for thousands of years of Torah and Mitzvahs, thousands of years of elevating and purifying that now it becomes something that the whole world is searching for and the whole world is uh, coming through realization. Yeah, comes to it eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you mean as a group? What do you seems like uh, on, on an expressed state in our physical world and our physical reality, we're not vessels for that expression at this point. Yet. So we can, if we would say it and not be a vessel for it, then, then it would lose its, 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 its meaning, its significance. So when the Mashiach comes and we're, the physical reality is, is ready for that to be expressed in this world, but David and these people at that, in their point, we're vessels for it. We're, when they expressed it, it, it was, I guess, felt by them and understood. Uh, 
But I was assuming that during that moment of concentration of prayer, she I guess Allah has structured our and guided us, you know, whatever we need to we need in order to bring the Shiach and I guess by saying, you know, saying it the way we pronounce it today, and that is Ad or whatever has that has that power too. Yep. I mean I'm sure right. I guess you get one thing in terms of It depends. It depends yeah. what and what we're talking about. Yeah, but everything is always relative, and everything is always in, in like it depends on what. In, in his nevuah, um, you know. Generally, we learn in Tanya, and his nevuah. Hashem says, "You'll see my back, not my first." Moshe Rabbeinu also possessed the neshama, right, the soul. And therefore, via his soul, he had connection to the deepest thing. The question is, what was revealed to him in the manner of Nebuah is something else. And that was lower levels of Godliness. Lower levels than what we're speaking about. Yeah. But that's Nebuah. Nebuah is an awesomely powerful difference. It's different of having this as being part of your neshama because you're born as a Jew and that's in your somehow sensed in within your neshama as having a full-fledged Nebuah. Nebuah is a whole different experience. It's higher, but because it's so real and so expressed in a very vivid, outwardly manner, it can only, you know, there is only that much that could be revealed in that, on those levels, similar to what he's asking. Well, that's still a lower level. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Whatever Muslim David has within I don't want to make statements like that. I mean, it's right. too broad. Too broad. Okay. Yeah. In a, yeah. So this is what he says. Who revealed the secret to my children? And this is called the supernal secret. Supernal mystery. This is called God places darkness where he, where he conceals himself. Right? What does it mean that God is concealed in darkness? Well, this means this is this disaster. There is levels of brightness. There's levels of projection of divine light. But that is, light is the way God shows himself to the creations and so forth. That's light. But beyond the light, there is darkness. And what's the darkness? That's God's essence. That, that, that truth that's beyond the Echad, which the Jew, which, which the Jew says, Abaya Lekenu, that's the, that, that the altogether calls darkness. Not, it's darkness because it's beyond revelation. It's beyond light. And that's why it's concealed even from the angels. And now we say Shema. Now the Rebbe is going to wrap this up. So what does this all have to do with cutting away the power of the animals? So now we say Shema, listen. 
So listen doesn't only mean to hear, it means to understand. It means to understand and grasp. If you say sometimes, you say to someone, I hear you. It means I understand, I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I mean, you hear what you're saying. And I, I, it makes sense to me. Kishi is going to not master when a, the, 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 a, a, the master, meaning the deeply, um, the intelligent one, will, will, will contemplate. And will, will fix his mind in a strong way. How God has forsaken, has left, has left behind the upper and the, and, and the lower worlds. Meaning God has not paid attention to, the, to all creations to give them access to his most intimate self. The upper, the most sublime creations, as awesome and, uh, and unbelievable that they are, God has not made, made accessible to them the level called darkness. They're all carried away by light. But Hashem's inner, most deepest self is not, not available to them. And God is, you know, so to cast them all aside, and whereas He focused His attention to allow His inner self to connect, to allow some, to allow a being to connect to God's inner, most intimate self, and to know Hashem in such a deep way, that is only to us, to, God, to the Jewish soul, God has opened up His most intimate self for the soul to experience that truth. So when one realizes that tremendous closeness that we as Jews have to Hashem, and then one realizes further, and this beautiful soul, and this awesome great soul, that has such intimacy with God, and the Neshama descended from that super-exalted super exalted state, that's Kolkach, such a high place, which is literally a piece of Hashem's and Hashem's innermost, and where has the soul come down to a very lowly place? It didn't just come down to the world of angels, which itself would be low in compared to the Nisham. It didn't just enter into the black, into the darkness, into the black hole. But in the hole itself, it entered, it, it, it entered into the lowest, lowest, lowest rungs, into the lowest tires of existence. That it was placed into an animal soul that can be so far from God that it could can actually rebel against Hashem. Hashem is that when one realizes the lowliness of where one has been to where one has come. So what should this evoke in a person? A very powerful yearning to go back to that place. Hashem is that one's desire is so based on this it is appropriate it is only fitting that one soul should yearn and pine for, 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 for the Ruchai and one spirit for that, for that truth. Azai, and when one reaches this, what will happen then? Yagia, one will arrive. So, what do we say right after Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekeinu? You will love God your God. Love doesn't mean love, I love God. It's nice. Oh, God is so wonderful, I love it. Love means a draw, it means a very powerful pulling of the soul. One's soul is. Is, 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 is running with intensity. So that is going to translate the word of hafta in two ways. The hafta simple meaning poel omed means a, I don't know, they, it's translated as some type of a verb. Don't ask me. Uh, but poel omed means an effect that's taking place. You will love God. 
Shetirtse you desire, Sheyia Havayalekech. Meaning, Vahakta, you will desire, you will yearn that Havaya, that truth of Havaya, which is really a truth that only your soul can experience, but somehow or another we've lost it, because we've come down into the body and gotten so carried away with all kinds of physical stuff that we lose contact with this. So Vahasta, one desires deeply that Havaya Lokecha, that Havaya should be our God, meaning something that we can consciously experience. That we should be able to feel it in every fiber of our being. So that's one, one meaning in Havaya Lokecha, Vahasta. And the other, the other thing is that once one reaches the capacity of his own love, Vahasta means, means something more. Vahasta, you will be enlovened by God. God will enloven you, meaning He will in, infuse you with the power of love far greater than the capacity of, of your own soul. So Vahasta has two meanings. Vahasta, Tashem Alekecha, you will love God, and Vahasta, you will be enloved meaning God will infuse love as Havaya Lekecha by Havaya by Hashem Alekecha. You will cause a love above which means God says, not just I love you, but I have made, I have I don't know what the right word is. I have it in, in, in loving you, something like that. I have in I have a happy eschem. I have infused the love in you, Amen Hashem. So you will love me with a divine love. Behind what does that mean? See, what, what, what's really causing this? See what, what means like this? There is the love of the neshama. The, the soul naturally loves God. But what really invigorates, what really fires up the soul, is the distance. Is 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 is, is that. that Knowing from where the neshama came once, where its original place was, and knowing the distance of where it is now, and it's that friction and that ultimate pull of the soul to wrestle itself free from this distance, from this place, that, from this remote, remote place where it's so far, is an yearns to go back to that place. So that is what intensifies the love. I knew, naturally, that one's soul will be inflamed with an intense love, like flaming coals, shall have us of gold with a bottle to be nullified, to be completely absorbed in God's light, through a love that comes from above, that, 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 that will completely envelop the neshama in a higher love. Because if it says, which can also mean draw down to me, the love of my soul. And from this, one will arise and ascend and this means one will arise to a level called with all your might love God with all your heart all your soul and all your might what do you mean with all your might? it means beyond the capacity of, your, of yourself meaning loving God with a, with a love we spoke about it two weeks ago I think or maybe last week a love that is beyond your human your human abilities it's a love the love coming from a higher from a higher place He's literally without an end. And the epitome of love, that far surpasses one's own knowledge. And this is what we mean when we say, that says over there, he reveals deep things from the darkness. 
and he brings to light Salmaves, the shadow of death. So what does this verse mean? God reveals from the darkness, God reveals deep things, deep mysteries come from the darkness. And the and, and he brings to light Salmaves, the shadow of death. So the, the interpretation, the Altarev interprets, is exactly of this deep transformation that takes place by the Shema. Means when one digs into the very deepest, deepest places of his soul to unearth the, that darkness of what we call before that level of God that we call darkness that, that quintessential awareness of the soul of God's essence which is called darkness because it's beyond the, the, the understanding of any, creature, of any creature so it's called darkness so when one megala, when one reveals Amukha is deep, the depth of his being, the depth of his soul, the depth of our awareness, mini chayshech from the darkness, what does that do? So automatically that causes a total transformation, that what? That, um, uh, what's the second half of the passage? Megala, Amukha is going to call The yaitzi la'oyer talmavis, the shadow of death is transformed to light. Which means, the animal soul, which is the shadow of death, because it's in the, it stems from the world of Klippa, so the Yotzim Oyer is now turned, turned to light. Because in the face of this reality, if one really experiences this truth, this Eino Novado, there is nothing left for the animal soul still to be, to be, to be attracted to. In earlier, in Pesukah de Zimra, it's more one meditating on God's greatness, but it hasn't pervaded a person's space completely. It's one meditating that the truth of Hashem is Roman most care that God is higher than the creation. It's all a meditation. It's a meditation. By Shema, it's experience. Literal experience. Now which one experienced that, one thought about the Roman most scale, that level that's beyond the Chod and which is merely a meditation during the, shem, during the Shema, becomes something that one senses and experiences because the Nishama, when you say Hashem Elokeinu, God our God, Hashem Achad, now comes into touch, connects to that reality in, in one's being, and over there, all, everything else besides Godliness is totally eradicated. So Megala Choshech, Megala, when one reveals Amukha is the depth of his own being, Mini Choshech from the darkness, that's the secret, how Yoytzi Lo'er, you take to light, how mother is the shadow of death. The Nefesh of Bahamas is completely, and that's why it's called the spear. Because now, it has completely killed and destroyed the powers of Klippa. Let's read it inside. Zel Shama Megala Mukhas, Mini Choshech, Yoytzi Lo'er, Kiddush, Shayadesh, Megala Beliba. Through this, that a person reveals in his heart, Amukha is the depth, from the darkness. Which is what? What's the darkness? Havaya Elokeinu, the Chinas Havaya Elokeinu, one has revealed how Havaya Elokeinu, the Chinas Yashas Choshech, this one, that's called darkness. Because that stems from the place where it's the most intimate, deepest level of God that's called dark. Memela automatically, the darkness is transformed to light, the Yoytzi Lo'er Tzalmavis, and the shadow of death is transformed to light. The evil which in one soul gets turned over to good. Now the Al-Sabah continues. In the early generations, that the evil was not so 
powerful in their lives. Rebbe's trying to explain how come in the days of past they were just they were just what's it called again? Um, all they said was Shema. Davening constituted Shema. They didn't say they didn't have the the Amida. The eighteen blessings were only the eighteen lessons were only added later. When? By the time of the destruction of the second day Shemitah when they started the Amshik No, 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 no. Sorry. At the beginning of the, of the second day Shemitah. Don't you? The time of the, of the men of the Great Assembly, they instituted the, the prayers. But in the time of the first temple, the Jews didn't. They didn't. All they said was Shema every day. So, so why is it that later we added another part to the Dhamma? Because here's the thing. In order for a Jew to be a Jew and live his life to be Jew, what, really the secret weapon is the Shema. Once you've, you've brought your once you've, you've brought the, the Amukas, this deep part of your Neshama out to the forefront, and the Nefesh of Bahamas falls away, so then, 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 then the Yid has done his Avodah, meaning then the rest is easy. The rest of the day will obviously follow in a holy manner. No, of course with. The one will experience this Shema. This is not, and I'm not just saying it happens automatically. When one will go through this meditation during the first Sukkot of Zimra, then when you say the Shema, and thereby bringing out all this awareness from one's Neshama, and exposing that, that, that truth, when one has revealed that, then automatically Neshama Hamas falls away, and one has done what he needs to do for the day at least, and the next day he'll have to do it over again. But at least for that day, one has accomplished this beer, this refinement, the fine. So why later did they institute that we have to continue our davening with Baruch HaTashem, with, 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 with the Shemona Esrim? So now that I've, so the Altar have explained that it is because in later generations, the Shema doesn't work on itself. The Shema, well, we can't just rely on the Shema. One has to really take that reality and really connect to it, and that happens by the Shemona Esrim. So the Shemona Esrim is really just a continuation and it helps us anchor down the Shema. The Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu, that truth of Avshaya Elokeinu, gets anchored down and becomes completely assimilated into us in, in the Shemona Esri. And he explains why. So, in those days when they just had a very subtle, that the evil was not so powerful, they were able to nullify the evil, Shalahem, which was within them. Mikol Vakol completely, Vakriya Shema Levavad, Vakriya Shema They used the spear, and the spear was enough. Loiken Ata, which isn't the case now. The Ikvas Mashiach in the heel in the in the heels of Mashiach in the latter days. Sharam is Gabim Oit that the evil is very ra- running rampage, very strong. Ubilti Efshulavatlo Mikol Vakol. So it's not we don't have the capacity and the ability to to deal with it uh, to destroy it utterly. With Kriyshma Lavada, with Kriyshma alone. The Zayis Tiknu Shmona Esra. That's why they instituted the Shmona Esrei. Why does the Shmona Esrei? We continue on the same theme. Now what's the point? The whole message of Shmona Esrei is Baruch Ata Hashem. What is Baruch Ata Hashem? Baruch means to draw down. Ata you, meaning God, as you are. Havaya Elokeinu. Really we should, to, to, to be able to bring that, that Havaya Elokeinu, which we know in the super, super conscious inner, inner part of our being to bring it out into a manifest state. So we have to say, how do you bring something out? The more you say it, the more you focus on it. So they were able to do it in one verse. Now we have to do it again and again and again by Baruch Ata Hashem. That's the main energy of Shemona Esri. Shemona Esri Baruch Hashem. Baruch means to 
and we're asking God to help us, we draw it down. We request that the Atar should be drawn down the Neuchach to a what do we say Atar meaning to a very so we can point to it and say Atar you it's in front of us that the Havaya Elokeinu should become Atar you something that we see clearly we're asking as this should be in the revealed part of our heart so automatically what they accomplish by the Shema will happen to us by Shemona Esri. It's a bit like the darkness leaves when there's light. Tanis Kaliel has mentioned the book. If so, why is it that it seems like the whole Shemona Esri is about what? Is about asking for our personal needs. So the Rebbe doesn't explain it over here. But the Mithra Rebbe and the Mimus is just something awesome. He says, and why didn't they pray in the olden days? If they have to request your needs, so they should have requested their needs every day, like we have and so forth. So the Rebbe says, so the, uh, so the altar Rebbe says like this, I mean, the Mithra says, he says, when a Jew has his neshama, his avaya, like is fully exposed, and therefore his whole life is in the total surrender to God, and his Jewishness is fully expressed in his life. So what? Uh, this expressed itself, which means he was tapping into havaya energy, the Havai energy was Elokeinu, was openly revealed in his life. This did not just affect his spiritual life, this affected his physical life. So there was an abundance of blessing in all physical matters in man. Health and wealth and prosperity. But all these things weren't an interference from the Jew. They were all part of a Jew's expression of his Havai Elokeinu. You saw that a Jew was serving God, there's blessing in his life. And, and he served God with everything. It was all just one... Like he says over there, he says, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov never had any deficiencies. They had wealth and all this because they had Avaya Lokenu expressed in them. So it expressed itself in all re- levels of reality on their, in their psychological self in the, and in the most physical state of being. There was an abundance of energy and life. So there was such bug being that by us, the Havaya Lokenu doesn't reveal itself. The Nefesh of Bahamas blocks and so forth. So that caused the blockages on all levels. Not only in our psychological experience that we don't feel it. Physically also there is the, 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 the deterioration. There is the problems and so forth. That there is a blockage of the divine blessing. So therefore, now we have to dominate and request. And how do we rectify? The main point of the davening is to create a Baruch Hashem Elokeinu. And then automatically... It will be Raifei Choyle Am Yisrael. There will be health. There will be Baruch There will be prosperity and wealth. All these things will just be a manifestation of the Havaya Lokeinu being expressed in our lives and open our lives. If that's the case, so then why? What is the point of the first three blessings, which are Choyne Nadas? The blessing for knowledge, right? After that already is Bachi and our pain, and it's already talking about our need. The first three of the requests that we request are, are really asking for atonement and truth and so forth. So this is what the Rebbe's Rebbe is now going to deal with. A whole new understanding in the bracha of Slach Lanu, and the Rebbe is going to connect it all to Yom Kippur and, and Elul and so forth. Let's read. Now, and in the blessing of Salah Lanu, please God, uh, forgive us. 
Kihatanu have because we have sin. Ain Pidushai, the meaning is not. Why do we ask for forgiveness? Ain Pidushai, the meaning is not. Because we're afraid of retribution. We're asking God to forgive us. Not because we're afraid of God's wrath. Or forget about that we were scared of the divine punishment. And therefore we're saying to Hashem, please forgive us. That he should forgive us so that he shouldn't punish us. Even if you know, you have a good friend, and you know, and if you have someone who you know will never hurt you, and will never um, um, cause you any pain and suffering. But the meaning is, like a person, is asking from his good friend. Uh, forgiveness and atonement. And the point of it is, that he should reveal his will, that he should reveal his will to the person all your day, his utter, his utter through the arousal of the person's compassion. So to we request, his we're asking for the revelation of God's inner will through the, through the 13 attributes of mercy. What is he saying? You have a very, very close acquaintance, so you have a very close friend, that you, are, you have a deep relationship, and you feel that you connect in a very intimate way. You, know, that you feel that they have a, a very deep interest and love and openness towards you. And then something happened in your relationship, you've done, you've wronged your good friend, You've insulted them, you've offended them, you've done something that somehow uh, caused a, 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 a certain fissure in the relationship, a certain... Um, so now, and it's not that you're afraid, and it's not that you're afraid that the person is going to get back at you. They're not, they're not the type of person, they're not going to take revenge, they're not going to mean to hurt you. But what bothers you now is that there is that separation, and what hurts you is that even if you talk to them, even if they pay, then even if you ask them, let's say it's uh, someone that you constant, uh, think you need favors and asking, you will go to them and they will give it to you, but you sense that their inner will isn't there anymore. That inner intimacy, that inner rutzel, that inner intimate love that they once were showing you is not there. They turn to you and it's cold. It's without that inner, most inner will, the inner delight. It's not there. And what bothers and that's what you come and ask for forgiveness. When you're coming and you're asking for forgiveness, you're begging, please, restore that, 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 that inner connection, restore that delight, restore that intimacy, that inner love that we once had. And we have that connection, I want that back. I want to reconnect with you in the way we once had our friendship. So the other says the same is also with God's being that we're, naturally, we're Jewish souls, we're Jews, so we have this Hashem Elokeinu, we have a love and a relationship with God, with God reveals to our souls His most intimate self, His inner inner self, His inner ratzon, His inner will. But when God forbid a Jew acts in ways that, that offend God, that go completely against God's will. And Torah and Mitzvah is what Hashem is all about. This is His most deepest will. So when a Jew is, is transgressing and violating the will of God, so what happens over here is, is a little bit, there is a, 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 a this intimacy has been, has been severed. 
And it's not that God is going to dump you. Like some people feel, you know, oh right now I've done that and now the storm, you know, the next lightning, I'm going to be struck down by lightning, God is going to get me. That's, that's, not, that's not the issue over here. If God is going to punish you or not. God has maybe enough other people that he's got to reckon first before, before we get to. And maybe he's, you know, not, but that's, that's not the issue. The thing over here is that one feels that one that I've lost. That close, this that we spoke about, Avaya Lakeinu, that, that, that inner intimacy that the Jew has, that he knows Hashem and he can sense God in such a deep way, the person loses it because the sins stand, the sins, Avaneseichem, the sins separate, Beinechem, Beinalokechem, between you and your godliness, between that, between things, because that cannot shine in the person's heart, and the person has stuffed his heart up with all kinds of, all kinds of things that block. So now, that's, the, that's why, in order that we should be able to create Baruch Atah Hashem, which is what? That Hashem Elokeinu, that God should radiate in the most inner part of our souls. As we said before, that's the whole point of the Shema. We first have to remove the barriers. We first have to remove those things that are blocking. So we say to Hashem, Slach Avinu. Return, restore that intimacy. Restore your love to us. Because we've sinned, and as a result of our sins, you've turned away your inner, your inner love from us. So now we're asking, read. And why? The Mitzvah of the Altar doesn't say it. We say, return to us, because you're our Father. What does that mean, you're our Father? Meaning to say that the Jew, what happens when a Jew recognizes that I have sinned to God and I have insulted Him, I have offended Him. So many times, as the Mitzvah Rebbe says, Chatoim Rabbin, a person lived a life of sin. Constantly, again and again and again and again. So how much can you forgive? The person has done so much to, to hurt, to, to, to damage his relationship with God, and to damage the whole, the, whole, the, whole, the whole world and everything, and the person sins. So how much can you expect God to forgive? Based on all rationale, there is no reason for atonement. There is no reason for forgiveness. And a person realizes the extent of the sin, sometimes you reach that point where you realize there is absolutely no reason for God to forgive me. So nevertheless, you still cry out and you say, Avinu, our Father, because you know that a father has compassion on his children beyond rationale, beyond logic, even if it makes no sense because a child is just part of the father. So even if a child has done the worst things to his parents, if the child comes back humbly, and humble and begs the father, say, you know what, you're my father and I want back the relationship. Please shine your inner face, your inner countenance to me. The father can have that evokes the mercy of the father to embrace his child no matter what has happened. So the other says, in order to be able to recapture again, we need to have that bracha before we can go on to all the other blessings. But that can only come if we do tshuva. That's why the blessing we say before that Return me, God, to your Torah, so that what? So that we can achieve again that 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 flachlanu, that re 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 what you call it recon re, re, reconnect or recon reconciliate reconcile reconcile reconciliate with Hashem reconciliate reconcile the relationship. But in order that we should do tshuva, what do we need before that? Man has to have the das. The recognition. Man needs das primarily. It's not enough just wisdom. It's not just enough knowledge. One needs to really have a das, the recognition of what it is to be a Jew and how, how terrible it is when one has distanced himself 
from, from, from his relationship with Hashem. So it's only through the das and true knowledge that one has that one can have Hashizeinu Avinu Asarasecha return me God to your Torah. Which will bring about what? The outcry of Shalach Lama, restore the relationship to God. And once that happens, as Baruch Hashem, we restore that intimate Havaya Elokeinu again into our souls. So that what? So that we can go on, and this can express itself in every year in our life, even in our material, even our physical things, which is Baruch Aleinu and Rafa'inu and all the other blessings. Yes. What? Yeah, but in. It gets distanced through the being that it's in the Nefesh of Ahamas. Through the sins and so forth, it loses its, a, if it loses its apparent connection. From the perspective of the, of the Nishamas of uh, uh, conscious awareness. It's an exile, that's right. So now, yeah. As he said, it's not like he says, it's not because of sin. It's not because a person's afraid of punishment. It's a Cain, Anachnu, Mevakshim, Mevgalus, Ritzayna. We want God's inner light and will. So for that you need, you need compassion. God has compassion. And that's the 13 attributes of mercy. The 13 attributes of mercy are related to God's crown, which is beyond the intelligence. Only the Jew has access to the 13 attributes of mercy because this is the attribute of, that registers deep, deep, deep in the, in the, in the, in the pure, in a parent's soul. A parent has a place in his heart for his child a compassion that you wouldn't have for anybody else because it's your child. It's an essential connection. And that's the Yud Gimel Midas The Nikra, and these are called Velashen Yud Gimel Nahara Afar Simuni. They're called the 13 rivers of Afar Simuni of purifying oil. That's the Zohar, a Zohar term. And the 13 attributes, they're called 13 rivers of, of purifying oil. Because what does it do? First, the, the initial thing is that God has mercy on the soul. God has compassion on the soul. There's a soul that cries out and says, God, give me another chance. Let's restore our relationship. Let's, like, let's like the Jew who, you know, came to the Chosef from Bublin. No, I think it was around the Melech of the Zems. Famous story, and he, and he wanted to know how, the Rebbe, how, he, how he does Kaparis. So he said, I don't do any Kaparis in any special way. Because, so he said to him, if you want to really see Kaparis of a Jew, you should go see this and this person, and then you'll see the way you've got to do kaparis. So, in the end, this fellow, the chassid, went down to this. They meet a simple Jew, an innkeeper, and he asked him, you know, if he can stay there for the night. He said he doesn't have a place, but he has maybe in the back of his, uh, in the back of his inn, he has this little, um, no, he said he, he doesn't have a room, but he said, if you want to stay around, you can sleep on me. So after he managed to chase all the, all the guy and all the all the all the all the peasants out of the all the drunken peasants out of the uh, out of the place. He sees it was Yom Kippur by night. It was the night before Yom Kippur, Erev Yom Kippur. He sees this Jew takes out. He tells his wife. He says, "Hensha, bring me the book." So she goes and she brings him the book, and he opens up the book, and in the book he starts reading. You know, he's talking. The book is written down every single day of why he did that year. And he's sitting there, he's sighing. And he starts crying, and he says, on this day, I, I, I violated, I, I woke up late, it took a long time, there was this whole party going on in the, in the inn at night, it took a long time, so I woke up late, and I missed the Shema, and I feel, I feel bad, he wrote it down. And on this day, he had some other, some other mistakes, and this time he got angry, and this day, he, whatever, oh, maybe he, 
he made a mistake on Shabbos, or he did something he wasn't allowed to do. So he's going through all the sins, and he's, he's crying over them, and so forth. And then he says, as he finishes, he puts down the book, and he says, Hensha, bring me the other book. So she brings him the other book. And over there he has a book. This is already God's book. And he says, read looking down, and he says, and this day, God, you mistreated me, because my, my cow died on that day. And I needed a cow, and needed milk, and now the cow died. And on this day, he says, the, the, you know, I, I had some other loss. And on this day, some drunken peasants went and they broke, broke something in the, in the place, and the cross is over here, and here my horse died. And the, the, all the things that he had, all the problems that he had. And here's my child got sick, and here my wife wasn't feeling well, or whatever. He goes through. She says, God, you know, I've done my, my, my stuff. I've mistreated you. I, wasn't, I, I didn't treat you the way I should have. But you also acted to me in a not, in not exactly the way you should have. So he says, you know what, God? Let's, let's reconcile. Let's, let's make peace with each other. I'll forgive you for all that you've done for me. And you'll forgive me for everything that I've, I've done. And he picks it up and he says, This is our exchange. That's in your I'll forgive you. will forgive me. And that was, that was sort of the story. So the, 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 the idea is that's, that's real true. Man. It's a person coming face to face with God. You know? There's no shtick. It's a simple, pure heart to heart. The Jew wants to come back and say to Hashem, you know, I love you and you love me. And I'm going to stop sinning and I want, you know, you to show me your shining face. It's hard for us to do this, to be so simple with God. But this is Salah Lanu, as we altogether explained. Yes, so now, so but when is there? But you need a time when God's compassion is more evocable. The compassion of God is stirred. Now, God is not in a state of change. But still there are times when Hashem's compassion is in a more accessible, revealed state. No, no, sorry, I'm sorry, we're going to get to that in a minute. But, but, so, we have to arouse, the first thing is to arouse within God the compassion to accept us. But once that is aroused, these 13 attributes, they themselves purify all the junk that's sitting on the heart, that's blocking, that has to be purified. Because that's blocking the Avaya Lekenu from being revealed. So that has to be polished and removed. So this is the, that's why they're also called 13 purifying oils. Because as they gush forth, when a Jew cries from the core of his being, for God to, 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 to reestablish his bond with him, and to reconnect, so that, that pours for these purifying oils that, that, that remove all the barriers and the separation of the sins, and open back up the channel of, 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 of communication and the connection. And it whitens the sins of Israel. And there are no more partitions that separate the Izgavus with Sayyidina Yisbarach, with the revelation of God's will. The Hine in the alphabet it says, the days of the month of Elul are designated for days that we can arouse and awaken the 13 attributes of mercy when we can reconcile with God. And on Yom Kippur, he is Galus HaRatzel. Is when God finally, because these are the days that we evoke the compassion and Hashem is beginning to respond to us. But when is the day that God finally grabs the Jew and embraces him and he says, you're mine and forever and ever we're not going to part anymore. When does that finally find the full reconciliation take place? That place is Galus Haratzim when God restores the smile and his love to the Jew. That happens on Yom Kippur. Like it happened for the Jews the first time. Elul was the month that Moshe Rabbeinu was, was the Yud Gil and was being provoked. 
And then finally, on Yud Gimelel, even though the Jews have sinned with such an awesome sin of the Chet of the Eagle, nevertheless, God, we... We... we, yeah, yeah, we yeah, Sukkot it's revealed more. It happens on Yom Kippur. Sukkot is the revelation of it. The Vayinei Yemei El Miyachad who says Yemei Mekmur who is Galus Adat in the revelation of the will. Kemoi the Eish Shachatu Yisrael the Eagle. Just like at the time when the Jews sinned in the Eagle, Mizbasa Lehem Slicha Vayim Akipurim. It was revealed to them the the the, the forgiveness on Yom Kippur. He Azu is Galus Adat. But that's the time when the is Galus. Is Galut, the revelation of the will of God, and that's why we say, Lift me Hashem Titaru. You're purified to be connected to a level that is even beyond God, the Yifke Vavke, which is the very essence of Hashem. This great love, after we discussed how this is revealed every day, through the Shema, and the ultimate revelation of it went throughout, through, um, through Shemona Esrei. And the Shalach Lanu will know that is the preparation for it to happen. So that is, but now the Rebbe goes back. This great love that is really supposed to take place in the Shema, where we literally feel the love, and the Nisham is bursting forward with the Choma Otcha with all your heart. This love that the Rebbe says is higher than the love that the Nisham experienced prior to its Hashem. Who Beyesa Sha'ez Va'oiz is with a greater intensity and strength. Way beyond beyond the love of the soul prior to its descent in this world. Why? Because this love can only come from the distance. It comes from the friction and from the from the neshama trying to wrench itself free from the darkness that the animal soul creates. This comes faster through the refinement of the animal soul, of bitul arashiba. And the, and the nullification of the evil. Kamoshekasov, as it says. So, one way of looking at it, it comes because of the, the animal still trying to pull the soul back. So, this is what it looks. But here the Rebbe says more than that. There's something that the animal soul has that even the Neshama doesn't have. And the soul gets it from the animal soul. And this is because of the original sub, sublime source of the animal soul. Meaning that we said before, the animal soul comes from a high place, it only falls. Now, why does the animal soul fall into darkness? Because in the original, original, original source of the animal soul, the animal soul comes from a place which we might even consider higher than the, the soul, from the most inner, inner darkness of God. And that, but, the animal soul has fallen and gets completely corrupted. When, through the avoid of the nefesh of the kiss of the godly soul, one elevates the animal soul back to restore its original beauty. So what happens then is, it introduces that element of darkness into our life, and which, which creates this unimaginable, undescribable love. It's explosive atomic love from the Neshama, which comes from the Neshama experiencing God in the most intimate way, is not so much a tribute to the soul's own source, even though the Rebbe did explain that, that it's connected to the Neshama, but it's more, it becomes more of a, of a it, it, it's, it seems like something like this. It's true that this is the source of the neshama. But the neshama itself cannot know this source unless it first refines the animal soul because the animal soul is connected to that, those realms of darkness. The neshama really is connected even beyond that darkness to what is, we can't even describe as dark or light. But 
it all works in layers. The neshama, generally the neshama perceives light. The neshama is a, is, a, is a creation of light. Its original source is Avaya the kingdom. But in order to do that, it needs to wrestle with the animal soul, because the animal soul comes from the world of Tayu, of chaos, the world of darkness. And that darkness, like we spoke many times, and that's what it says to my Shekhatu, that says, Megala Amukas Mini Chayshech. That the dark, that the depth comes from the darkness. Which dark is the darkness of one's own animal soul? Ki Yisrena Orim and Achayshech. Because the advantage of light comes not from the darkness. This is the ultimate purpose of the soul descending into the world. To purify. To whiten the darkness of the animal soul. So that it should arrive with his great love. That is why both souls have to fall. Because the Nishama, as it was above, was a great superior light, but it wasn't experienced as intense love. For this, it has to be, it has to be elevated to the worlds of darkness. For it to access the worlds of darkness, it comes down into both the animal soul falls down into a, into a state of darkness. Why does the animal fall into a state of darkness? Because really in its original source, it stems from a darkness that's greater than light. It falls, so what the devil is doing over here is he, he, he's drawing a certain connection between the darkness of divine concealment and the, and the darkness of what? Of the divine essence. The darkness of our world and the dark space that the animal soul creates is really at the core of core connected to the darkness of Hashem's essence. And that is why there's a possibility to be concealment in this world. And when the godly soul comes into this darkness and it wrestles with the darkness and is able to change this darkness to light, what really is happening is also is that the higher darkness is also coming to light. The darkness of the divine essence comes to light to the realm of the Nefesh Likis, that it can sense that darkness and explode with a love that it could never have had had it only experienced light. Now it's experienced the darkness, which brings it far, which intensifies the relationship in a much deeper, more powerful manner. So now the Neshama comes down here. He says, or be it an explanation of the matter this quickly. The root of the animal soul. It's from a very high place. As it says, these are the kings, the Eretz Edom. This, the Nisham is connected, the animal soul is connected to the Edomite kings. It says in the verse that the kings of Edom ruled before the kings of the Jewish people. Simply talking about the history of Esau. The Ace of the Edom had kings before the Jews had kings. But we know everything in the Torah is not just a story about this world, but it also tells us about the higher realms of reality, of being. So it's saying like this, that the Jewish kings represent the realms of the world of Tikkun, the world of rectification, the world of the Nefesh Elokis, the Gavisa. The, the Edom represents the world of chaos, the worlds of, the worlds of darkness that, that come... And it says that the source of the Klippa, the source of Esau, is even higher than the source of Yaakov. It's only that it fell down very low. It collapsed in the collapsing of the vessels. Through the many concealments and veils and contractions. It concealed the, 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 the oneness of, the, of Hashem. And therefore, when we pick up the, when we pick up the shattered pieces and the evil falls away, 
through the godly soul, so then it will reach the greater love which is associated with the animal soul. And now, even more than it had before it fell. That's why it says that Yaakov had to dress in Ace of the Sardis to take those potent energy that's really embedded in Ace. But the only way to do that is first Ace has to submit to Yaakov. Yaakov has to take full control. If we let our animal free reign, then the animal remains a lowly, beastly creature that is completely detached from God. It's only when the animal soul gets, when the godly soul takes full control of the animal soul and completely breaks its ego to the point that it and doesn't leave any of the trace of that original ego, then it can dig into the inner potent energy of the animal soul and discover a deeper love for God which comes from the really original source of the animal soul in the world of play. The Zao, and this is what the verse means, that's wrap, the Alpha never wraps it all up, but the beautiful connection to what we learned this week in the parish. A man has two wives, one that he loves and one that he hates. And the old, the firstborn son is going to be to the one that he hates. So he can't practice any favoritism and give, the, give double portion to the child of the one that he loves, but he must give it to the one that he hates. What does this mean that I've explained earlier that the two wives are the two souls? The godly soul is the beloved soul. Because that's the one that's beloved by God. It's the soul that is... Every, it's, it's, it's the beautiful, beautiful princess. The beautiful soul. The animal soul is the ugly duckling. Is the, is the, is the black... Is, is, is the one that no one wants to see. Is the animal soul that brings so much... So, so we're... We, a person can get... Reach a point where he gets... What? So... Disgusted by his animals. See, here's the thing. Realize what? That the firstborn child really isn't the animal soul. Because the animal soul really has a far higher, superior source, even than the Nisham. However, here's the thing. It calls the animal soul the hated one. Because in order to be able to love it, you first have to hate it. If you don't hate it first, and <coughs> you, <coughs> you love, if the person loves that wife, meaning the animal soul within him, and one treats it with, you know, with, with respect and whatever, then you're never going to get to that firstborn child. It's only if what if this is the Sneel. And how is that meaning the Nishamna Wat takes full control of the person's life and breaks the animal soul and directs its energy towards God. Only then realize that what that ultimately this is the greatest blessing that you have. All these the negative uh, force in your life is dragged, is pulled down, is lift. Ultimately this introduces you this to the highest of the high. It only has to be rectified. So that's what it is. That's why it doesn't say if the older one will be to the... It says for sure the older one is clear to the hated one. Shadafkam and after Shabahamis, Dafka from the hated wife, which is hated. They have the firstborn child, just like Esau was the firstborn. Because it comes from Bukhara, comes from Tayyip. This name has bought, Yaakov has to steal it from Esau. If you leave Esau, if you let Esau keep his, his firstborn um, um, thing, then, then, then what? Then there's no, no benefit from it. Yaakov has to take it, but he has to realize that it's Esau that he's taking. He has to take that energy to the service of Hashem. But then Yaakov has to realize that really Esau has more, has the energy that Yaakov needs. 
behold the altar that concludes it says lasnia. It doesn't say lasnua to the hated one, it says lasnia. The yud, we say yud, lashen dover acha. The hainu har sinai, har shayor da sinola la avoidus la akum la mazalis to those who serve the, I mean, to idols, to the, to the, to the, to the nations of the world. Limoy sarah betachlis ayadeyiz galus harotzev ahavash alamayla madaz. I don't know what he means in the Diyak of the Shmiyah. He explains it somewhere else in the Yerim. I, I didn't understand that. I'm just not so good in Diktuk. And what's the difference between Snua and Shmiyah? And it has to somehow be a constant hatred. I don't get exactly what he means. Whatever. Yeah. Alright, stop. Anybody can figure this out. Let me know.